Baseball isn't just numbers, numbers, numbers. This game is not being played on computers. You don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks. You don't put a team together with a computer. We're talking weighted runs created plus. Expected Woba. Sweet spot rate. Defensive runs above average. Average exit velocity. Barrel rate. XFIP. BABIP. SIERA. We are above replacement radio. And welcome to Buffalo Place Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever I'm your host, Chris Bianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing very, very well today. We got a very fun episode uh, today. We are just a week away, I believe, from college baseball opening day. Chris and I have never really been uh, the biggest college baseball people, despite uh, both of us doing an internship with the Summer Collegiate League. But uh, you know, for me personally, at least, I think this is the year that I got to really lead into it. Um, and what better way to do that than by having Stephen Shock of D1Baseball.com uh, on the podcast today? Yes, 100%. He is one of the great voices in the college baseball world. Uh, kind of went viral through a post-game interview that he had, um, you know, later in his in his uh, career, I believe during the college baseball postseason, um, which is which is really cool. And uh, and yeah, I'm sure I'll have some questions um, about the number 14 ranked uh, team in the country, the Virginia Cavaliers, or as they call them down here, the the Who's, which I'm still getting used to. But uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm 10 minutes away from the stadium. It's right across from the St. Anne's Belfield uh, school campus. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to check out some games. Their their season starts on um, Friday, the 16th of February. So and and they they're playing they're playing uh, here in Charlottesville. So yeah, I'm excited to ask some questions about that. Um, but yeah, you know, as as of this recording, we have not done it yet. But we're we're gonna get we're you know we're gonna have it in the episode. So hopefully, it's gonna go well. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I got to meet Stephen very briefly uh, last year. Uh, he was in Cape Cod. I interned with the Cape Cod Baseball League. And um, I mean, he's just such a great ambassador for college baseball. You know, I think he's kind of the voice that it really needed. You know, I think college baseball has been really underreported on uh, in recent years. You know, I think it is very fun to watch the player like the player. The playing atmosphere is so different there. Uh, it really just isn't the same once you get past college and you're playing professionally and it becomes a business. Um, and it's a lot of fun to watch. And also like, you know, every power five conference is like very offensively uh, driven. Like I believe the league wide OPS in the SEC last year was 889, which is like <laughs> a very good bat in major league baseball. And that was just the league average, you know, for the SEC. And I believe the ACC pac 12, big 10, big 12 are also right around the same uh only a few points separated so you know a lot of fun thing to watch for in college baseball and uh yeah Stephen shock has been a tremendous voice for it over the last few years yeah 100 100 and this is coming off also you know we're coming off a, a huge year for college baseball like just in terms of i think viewership and just national attention uh there were a lot of great players that played last year and there's probably going to be a, a couple guys that played in college baseball last year who could see some MLB time this year, uh, which is, you know, sparks the attention of a lot of, you know, MLB fans and whatnot. Um, so, yeah. And anything more before we get into this interview? No, let's do it. Yeah. So now our interview with the great Stephen Shock. <laughs> Thank you.
All right, and we are happy to be joined by Stephen Shock of D1Baseball.com of the Shock Factor Pod, former college baseball legend. Uh, Stephen, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing great. I am on the edge of my seat. As you know, the season is rapidly approaching, and I'm ready to just black out and not know what happens for the next four to five months. <laughs> so I, I couldn't be better. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, I mean, it is a big time of year for college baseball. Obviously, you know, it's it's mid-February. Uh, the season starts. And also, I feel like a lot of attention goes to college baseball in the early part of the season before, uh, you know, the major league season starts up. You know, I think it's certainly uh, college baseball is a lot more fun, no doubt, than spring training. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I want to talk about your kind of journey through college baseball. You played for... Uh, five years at two different schools and you've now stayed in the game as a media personality um do you wish that college baseball kind of had a voice like yours when you were playing and what kind of uh what do you feel like you've added to the college baseball media realm since you've been there um I don't really like I'm not a very introspective person so I don't really know how much I've done but I do feel like I've kind of given a place or just a voice where players can go and it's like hey if if as a team we're like this is something we need attention on this is something we need to get talked about there's someone you can go to you can dm and just send like a quick little note that says hey can you post about this and i will like that that to me is the most fun part of it because for me i've always wanted my coverage of the game and my you know social media to just be an extension of or kind of an outlet for players where they can kind of showcase their voice just because you know when I started this whole thing I always looked at it and I always thought you know well I have these followers and they followed me because I played college baseball and someone turned the spotlight and put it on me for a little bit so I might as well just give that spotlight right back to the players because college baseball really did give me essentially everything I have in my life. So I just want to give my life kind of back to the game and give it back to baseball. So uh, it, it always makes me really happy when I see players and like teams resharing content about their teammates and about their friends, because, you know, that, that always reminds me just of the fact that, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I was just one of those guys resharing stuff about my buddies and resharing stuff about myself. So it, it's really fun to look back on it now and uh, kind of dwell because as a player, everybody tells you, oh, don't dwell on how far you've come because there's so much more work to do. But I'm, I'm a big believer. You got to dwell. You got to enjoy what you're doing in life from time to time. So I, I have I feel like the biggest change post baseball for me has been learning to dwell. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about, you know, being a college baseball player, I feel like is that, you know, for a lot of people, it's it's either the last stop of their baseball career or it's the last stop before, you know, they go pro and it becomes a job uh, and, you know, what they do professionally. And I feel like college baseball is so humanizing for the players compared to uh, the, you know, the pros, because Chris and I have both worked in collegiate baseball before we both interned for uh, the NECBL in 2022. I did the Cape league last year. And you quickly start to learn that like, these guys are just guys that's, you know, they're just regular humans like you and me. So, you know, I feel like to have that outlet and really showcase that is pretty important for players at that stage of their careers. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think like what I really want to show is that they're just normal people like you and me. Like, I, I think my interview resonated with a lot of people because I was just kind of honest and transparent about who I was. But I, I think with a lot of players and a lot of former players who watched my interview and reshared it, it was because they had a teammate who they thought of when they saw that interview. And it was like, oh, this this doofus would have said that back when I played for this team. And it, it's just because, you know, college baseball players really are just normal people. Some of them are very good at baseball and they're going to be superstars, but they aren't superstars yet. They're, they're still normal people who like, you can typically reach out to and get a hold of. And that's what I love about college baseball is just how accessible the players are and how, how important their interactions are with fans, even though they don't really realize it. Yeah. I mean, so the interview that you're referring to, of course, is the very famous uh, interview you did with ESPN. Was that in, it was in 2021, I believe, right? Where yeah. uh, you had the famous uh, dip and dots uh, quote, you talked about being uh, nervous about caves. Uh, your dogs think that you're awesome. Uh, all of that. I heard a fan offer free dip and dots if I blew it, which the price of dip and dots with inflation is just unreal. So for a brief moment, I was like, damn, dip and dots sound good. Fun stuff. And yeah, I mean, there are definitely a lot of personalities out there. And I think yours kind of shined a light, not just for yourself, but for a lot of people uh, in the game. Uh, how did you realize that you wanted to stay in college baseball after your playing career ended? So for me, it, it was kind of a no brainer because my two options, like, you know, whenever you make an option in life, there's an opportunity cost. That's something I learned in economics. And my opportunity cost of staying involved with college baseball was giving up a job with State Farm Insurance in Wilmington. So the opportunity cost was pretty low. Um, I, I was not very drawn to the State Farm Insurance job I had accepted. But as soon as I kind of got my foot in the door and figured out this was something I could do for a living, I was like, yeah, no, we're going to do that because that's way more fun than anything else I can think of doing. Like, I can't be a professional laser tagger. So this is about, you know, this is about as good as it's going to get for me. So I, I figured I'd just roll with it because going into, into baseball, like I had three goals. Professional baseball, of course, was the dream, but also I was realistic with myself. I was chunky and threw 87 with sync. And I knew that not many people in the MLB were doing that. So, and that's not because not many people could do it. It's because, you know, why would they? Um, so I was very realistic with it, but college baseball for me, it was always three goals. The first was to get an education. My brain couldn't have gotten me. And my brain, my SAT scores weren't getting me into UVA most likely. Um, so we got that done. The second goal, and this was more of a long-term baseball goal, was to build a platform to where I could talk about baseball for a living, where either, you know, I'm an analyst or, you know, somehow whatever position I, I currently am, whatever you want to call it, content creator, analyst, I, I don't really know. But I, I got very lucky. I thought I was going to have to like, you know, go into the minor leagues and create content for a lot of years and really work at it. But I, I got lucky that that step got very expedited. I, truth be told, that was always a back of the mind goal that I really hadn't put much effort into. It was just kind of a dream. And, you know, one day my dream just happened. And I was like, okay, we're just going to 
We're going to run with it. We aren't going to ask questions about how this happened, how we got here. We're just going to appreciate it and run with it and take every opportunity we can and see how far we can go with it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now we're a little bit or maybe two and a half years past, um, you know, your, your playing time and, and, and whatnot. And, uh, I, I think college baseball is coming off a huge year. It seemed like, you know, even as an outsider, I just kept hearing about it, kept hearing about LSU, kept hearing about all the top prospects coming up, like Frews, Skeens, and, and Langford. Um, you know, do you feel like the uh, popularity of co- college baseball has grown um, since you're, uh, since you have stopped playing uh, at, you know, the collegiate baseball level? Oh, without a doubt. It's really taken off the past couple of years. Now, I've been a college baseball fan my whole life. Like it's something I've always idolized growing up. I always wanted to do it. So I always watched it because I was like, okay, what are the people who are doing it doing? How do I, how do I do that? And so I I was a big fan of it before I played, but when I played the fandom, it it was like a void because I was only focused on where I was at in my team because, you know, I, I can't be a fan of Virginia baseball playing playing at UMBC. That just doesn't really work out. Um, so for me, it, it was that like six-year void of my playing career. And now coming back to it, I don't think it was like this while I was playing. So it, it, it's been really fun just to see the growth of the sport and the attention it's been getting just because I know these guys are waking up at 6 a.m. I know a lot of them are running till they throw up when they wake up at 6 a.m. because their coaches are making them. And that's that is the effort they are putting in to put out a fun and entertaining product for us, the fans. And so I will always appreciate that. And I will always be happy when that's getting the attention and coverage it deserves. Yeah, I mean, it's it is a lot of crazy work and the work doesn't stop uh when the season ends because a lot of guys play summer ball and you played summer ball in two different leagues uh most notably of course the cape cod league uh a league that is very near and dear to me as i'm sure it is to you as well um i mean what is the you know for someone playing in the american east at the time that you were invited to to at massachusetts you know what does it mean for you uh to get that invite to play you know in the top summer league Oh, it meant so much. Now, I I knew that. So my first year up there, I got invited after playing a full summer with another team in the Cal Ripping League with the Bethesda Big Train. So I kind of really felt like, you know, I earned myself the opportunity to say, hey, maybe I could play for you guys. And so going up there, I was super nervous, terrified, actually. Got there, threw my first warm-up pitch, rolled my ankle super hard, couldn't feel anything. It was just throbbing the entire time. Don't remember how the outing went, kind of blacked out. But Coach Roberts invited me up for a full season the next season right after it. So I was like, okay, something must have something good happened. Um, but I, I'm gonna come back. And so for me, it, it was a lot of pride just because no one else from UMBC had ever signed a full contract up on the Cape. So it it came with a lot of pride for me because many people had told me throughout my life, I wasn't going to be that good at baseball and, you know, accomplishing things like playing in my dream summer league wasn't, wasn't possible for me. And so getting up there, it was, a, it was a ton of fun and just kind of being able to go back to school and play with the confidence of, okay, 
I I just got done pitching against the best players in the nation. Like every team I played against was an all-star team. Like that that's the thing about the Cape Cod League and a lot of these summer leagues is it's like you're playing against a summer team. Or uh, it's definitely like you're playing. Hey, it's against absolutely a like team. that. <laughs> but it's it's definitely like you're playing against an all star team as well. So it, it it's just such a valuable experience for players. Just having that pride and having that confidence that comes with playing in the Cape Cod League, even if you don't have success. Like just to get the invite means a ton. So it, it gives you that confidence of okay, I I went. I played against the best of the best. I'm still walking around to to live another day. So I, I, I did it, you know? Yeah. What, you know, obviously everyone that goes and plays summer ball is coming off of a three to four month college season before that, you know, all of the training that went into, you know, putting that season together and it is such a nonstop thing. So what, you know, what is kind of the difference in mindset between the college season and summer ball? And do you feel like that, that, you know, different mindset of summer ball is a little bit different for players in the Cape than it is for, for other collegiate leagues. Yeah. So it, it varies a ton playing in the season is of course all about, okay, this is my university. This is about school pride. This is about how do I help this team win? Whereas in summer ball, it's a little bit more selfish because it's more so about your personal development. It's more about your growth and growing your draft stock in all honesty. So it's a lot less about the team, I feel like, in most situations. For me, I was a bit of what they would call a summer ball hardo. I wanted to win every game, every instance. That was just kind of the way I was, and some people would get annoyed by it. Some people would, you know, just be, like, with it. And that that is what it was, but that was my approach to summer ball. But a lot of the mindset was like, okay, we just played 60 games straight, we're just going to go to the field and just try to absolutely ball out. We're going to try to rest when we aren't there. We're going to try to relax a little bit. We're still going to work out and all that. It, it's a very weird dynamic because a, a lot of college baseball players you'll find out don't know how to like go on summer vacation. They don't know how to like take a break because it, it's really all they know. Baseball truly becomes their lives. So for, for summer ball, it's, it's still intense but it you need to have it in a way where like you kind of pump the brakes during the midseason. That's what I would always do, where I would just be like, I would take it super seriously at the start and at the end. And in the midseason is where I would like take my breather, like, you know, my body's sore. I'm not gonna work out a day opposed to pushing through the pain some days, which you'll do earlier in the season. So it, it's a very interesting dynamic because it's like, okay, I'm going up against the best players I'm going to play against in my life. But also, I am so tired physically. I need a break every now and again. So it, it's definitely a grind. And that's where a lot of my respect for players comes from is the fact that, you know, they essentially spend a greater part of their year working just to do, just to entertain us, you know? Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, it, when you mentioned the, um, you know, getting the invite after the uh, Cal Ripken League season, it does make a lot of sense looking at your 2017, 26 and a third shutout innings, 33 strikeouts, no walks. I think that'll do it. Um, but what is what um, what would you say, like the main difference? Were, were there any like differences in approach you had to make from 
like Cal Ripken League to uh, Cape Cod League or even just the American East to the Cape Cod League? Because obviously, you know, it's it's a little bit of a of a difference in in levels there. Yeah. So for me, I would say the biggest change was like the mental external pressure I put on myself that was entirely made up. Like it was, of course, there's a little bit of pressure of like, okay, there, this is where there's going to be way more scouts at these games. There's going to be a lot more talent that I'm used to playing against. So there is a lot of pressure. Don't get me wrong, but I should have handled it better in the sense that I shouldn't have made it as big of a deal in my head as I did because then you kind of psych yourself out. So for me, I think the best thing you can do in pitching is just being consistent, like, you know, being being the same guy every single day because, you know, you aren't going to have your A stuff every day. If if you had your A stuff every day, you'd be in the Hall of Fame, even if your A stuff was terrible because that that's just so rare. It doesn't happen. But being able to win with your B stuff and C stuff that that's when you can be really good at baseball. So when you have the confidence of your B stuff and C stuff being really good, that that's when you can kind of play anywhere with the confidence of like, okay, look, nothing I'm unflappable and playing in the Cape Cod league is when I learned that you need to be able to do that. And that when you attain that, that's when you can have the confidence of like, okay, even if I sleep wrong, even if things don't go my way, even if my superstitions don't go correctly, I am going to be able to go to the field and have a good day. I'm going to be able to go and help the team win. And so in the Cape Cod League, I, I feel like my biggest mistake was playing with without that looseness. I, I think the biggest perception or the biggest misconception is thinking like, oh, I need to think more because the game is more important in this instance because it's never more important in one instance than the other. Any pitch you get to play is an absolute gift and you, you gotta, you gotta treat it that way. And so uh, I think, I think that me playing with the different mindset kind of hurt me early on. And I was fortunate that early on for me was in Katuit, which meant it was during inner squad two a day practices that we were having mm -hmm. for some reason, <laughs> but having that experience really helped me out in the long run. Yeah, I mean, the Cape League, like, no matter what, it's all-time vibes. Like, the vibes are always there. <laughs> I uh, I helped Chris make his Cape League debut uh, last summer in Bourne. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, the, the vibes are just always there no matter what. One thing I'm curious about, the Cape League right now has a lot of, like, legendary coaches that are still going. Scott Pickler, obviously the all-time uh, wins leader in the league, is still coaching. Steve Engler just got to 400 wins. Uh, Jeff Trundy just got the 500 wins. Kelly Nicholson just got to 400 wins. You played for Mike Roberts, who's been there uh, also forever. What was it like playing for Coach Roberts? He is an intense dude, and I absolutely love him. Um, he he is the type of dude who you could set him on fire and ask him what he needs, and he would say nothing. Like I, I just want to go to the baseball field. Like just put me on a baseball field. He would he would want to if he were on fire, his his order of things he wanted his priority list would be one go to a baseball field to get a bucket of water which i really like that about him believe it or not the, the guy he's very intense about how he approaches the game but i think you know in today's day and age someone needs to be so if it's going to be a summer ball coach that's great because that's only three months 
of the intensity, then you go back and relax the rest of the year. Not, not that that's how baseball works or that he was really that intense, but I, I just loved his approach to the game of baseball. Like he, he really truly wants you to have fun. And he, he also emphasizes the fact that nothing is more fun than winning baseball games. So that that's where the fun starts. And when you take care of that, the rest of the fun follows. I was going to say, you mentioned getting invited back after your first year. And you later mentioned, you know, being a, a summer ball hardo and always trying to win games. And I immediately thought, yeah, that's probably why Coach Roberts liked you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that was an easy recipe. He, he really likes weird arm slot guys love submariners loves them and i was like all right yeah no me too um i'm one of them so i like me <laughs> lowell park is obviously like very beautiful and one of the best uh has some of the best scenery in in the cape league but other than lowell park what was your favorite cape league what has been your favorite cape league park to go to yeah i mean picturesque pristine lowell park is hard to beat but i i gotta i gotta say i love chatham's field it's veterans park i believe it uh, is that is a phenomenal baseball facility. Just like in terms of vibes, you have like the families whose backyards go right up to the fence, which is so cool. Like I'm so jealous. When I went there this summer, I was just walking around the field and I saw this family had like a deck on the back of their fence in their backyard that they could sit up on to watch Chatham Anglers games. I was like, the, I would pay you a million dollars right now if I had that. And there, if that's what this home was worth, but it was probably worth like five then. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's probably, probably pretty valuable. There are so many great Cape League fields that there really isn't a correct answer for your favorite one, but not considering Chatham would be an incorrect answer. Yeah. And it, it's hard not to pick Chatham just because it feels right. I mean, like I'm weird though. I absolutely loved Bournesfield. And to be honest, most people would just say oh, it's just a high school field which a lot of the fields are, they are. <laughs> but like something about Bourne's always stood out to me maybe it was the way it was carved into the like little hill right there I, I just liked it I always liked it yeah cool. well I mean the renovations they recently did I think make it a lot nicer I don't know if they had those when you were playing uh but I'm sure you were there this year and you saw um. Anyway, last last Cape League question before we can switch gears. Do you have the lyrics to Hake to it memorized? Yeah, they're burned in there, <laughs> mostly from like like it's it's a slippery slope because you know you hear it during batting practice and you're like, okay, you know that's a song. That's that's a, <laughs> yeah. what so a, Chris, what a trip. Chris, what just for context, the the Katuit Kettleers before every game, uh, every home game, they play this song called Hake to it um and it is cursed it is uh maybe kind of catchy if you try hard enough so how, how would you how would you describe it brain. steven it it's it's like a very music class song like something in elementary school you would learn to learn things such as rhythm and and uh other song things i obviously did not pay attention during these parts i was more locked in when we were watching like disney movies jungle book that's when music class really clicked for me um but it it just stays with you no matter how long like i haven't looked up the lyrics i haven't listened to the song in a while i could say every word of it right now I'm not gonna because then it'll get stuck again. But you go up to anyone who played in the Cape 
and you bring it up, they know. They will know. And, I mean, it's cool because it's like, how many other teams have a song about them? Probably zero. Um, but it it is – it gets stuck in there hard, and you start off making jokes about it as a player, and you're, like, singing it along as a joke. But what you don't realize is you're just ingraining it into your brain. So, like, when it's when it's late at night and you can't sleep and it's, like, the fall – and you have conditioning tomorrow morning and all that's playing in your head is hey to it it's like oh, right. i mean i you know i had the you know for my internship i had the beauty of being able to go to whatever field i want to every day uh and i went to Katuit maybe like six or seven times and that's all it took for me to know all the words so i couldn't imagine what it was like as a player it, it 22 was times a year it was rough i mean like there and the emotions around the Cape Cod League are heightened, so you remember everything a little bit harder there. So, like, I remember the whole introduction, then they'll play the song, and the, and that's that's why I said the picturesque pristine, because they always start off with, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the picturesque pristine Lil Pock. And they got the great accents, and it sounds so crisp, so baseball-y, the way they say it, and it just makes me happy, you know? Yeah. Chris, I'll send you the link to the song when we're done the, with this interview, and I just want you to imagine hearing that 22 times a year yeah, before, I'm, before I'm, every single game. I'm decently into corny sports songs. I think I think they have a place. Oh, you'll you'll in, love Hicka to it then. Yeah, yeah they have a it's... they have a place in the world. Yeah, like it, it's yeah, to be fair, like like Kettleers games would not be the same without it. Like you have like if they ever didn't play before a game, I'd be like, um, where is Hicka to it? Can you can you please get it going? Yeah, it's Hey Katuit and that weird sound clip of the guy yelling have a hit. Have a hit. Yeah, it's yeah. like you know, all right, yeah, we're at we're at Lowell Park. Yeah, exactly. Um, so switching gears here into uh the current college baseball uh, atmosphere. The season starts in one week. It's gonna be a pretty interesting year with uh the draft and the you know, all of the top players. One that I want to talk about, uh, of course is Jack Caglione. Um, there are, I know that two-way players are not terribly uncommon in college baseball. Not only is there Caglione, there's Braden Montgomery, there's Cole Mathis, there's a few others. Is there a real sense that he can do both professionally? Honestly, I think so. Um, just from the levels he's been doing it at. Because a lot of people, they'll look at him and they'll say, oh, well, you know, he, he did both, but last year his ERA was a little high. And this is my least favorite argument because it, it, to me it's just dumb. It's silly. It's lazy. If a freshman in their first year in the SEC had a 4.3 ERA in about 80 innings, everybody would be very excited. Everybody would be like, wow, the trajectory, like this person's going to be a first top 10 round pick because it's the SEC and they had a 4.3 ERA. He did that last year in his first year coming back from Tommy John, like, to me, on the mound, he was a freshman last year because it was his first time doing the damn thing. And he did that while leading the nation in home runs. You know, that that doesn't really just happen. Um, you don't do that if you're bad at baseball or by mistake. So I, I really do think there is a legitimate chance that he does it at the professional level and that he does it well. Yeah, I mean, at this point, he has to be the closest thing we've seen uh, from an American-born player to – uh, replicating what Shohei Otani has made himself famous and also very, very rich for. Yeah, without a doubt. And I know in the past there have been two ways to do it. And 
guys like Brendan McKay have shown us it can be done at the big leagues and and it it, it worked but I mean the Shohei level it, it's hard to match it's hard to match and Jack hopefully he can do it from the left side like that that would be so cool I, I'm really rooting for it to happen Yes. I mean, one thing that I've always just been curious about is I've read a lot of, you know, mock drafts, a lot of uh, what people see as what's going to go down in July. And I've seen a lot of variance in Caglione. You know, I've seen him like top five, fringe top 10, maybe even outside the top 10. Like if there's any sort of sense that he could do both, how is he not the consensus number one overall pick? Yeah, I think just uncertainty is something that can help you a lot. It can also hurt you a lot in the sense that people are uncertain, you know, where does a two-way fit in the draft? Where does his profile, how valuable is this? And and I think he's going to have to not struggle from it, but it, it's something that's going to come up to where there isn't really a good comp for him other than Shohei Otani. And it's like, okay, well, if there's no comp, then this is unprecedented. How do we how do we handle negotiations? What's that worth? How do we value that? And so I, I feel like that's something he could run into. But for me, it really is just so much more valuable to be able to do both. It's kind of a no-brainer. It's like if if this were basketball and I was like, hey, this guy's the best shooter in the league, but he can't play defense, everybody would be like, okay, that guy, that guy stinks. Well, in baseball, that, that guy's phenomenal. Like, we, we want the best shooter in the league. But he, he's one of the few players that can play offense. He can shoot and block. And, you know, I think that works, too, because he wears, like, a size 18 shoe, and he's gigantic. So it, it translates. Yeah. Chris, you want to read? So now to look into the 2024 MLB draft, uh, as, you know, we've been talking about uh, Caglione. Um, there are some other candidates, uh, notably Nick Kurtz and JJ Weatherholt, who Daniel was telling me they had OPSs over 1300 last year, which was pretty insane. Um, like how could they possibly improve their draft stocks after years like that? I think just proving that they're consistent because, you know, for me, I know it's not a fluke. I know that doing that is very hard to do. But for whatever reason, the people who consider themselves the best at evaluating baseball will say things like, oh, that's a fluke. Like, you know, we, we don't have to pay them that much. And that that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to, okay, well, they, they think that because they're the ones writing the check. But at the end of the day, it, it it's hard to raise your stock when you're at the top, you know. But staying consistent, for them, I feel like it's all about just maintaining where they're at which is incredibly hard to do. I know like for me, maintaining where I'm at, super easy to do. I'm super average. Then they're extraordinary people. So it's harder, it's harder to continue to be extraordinary day after day. But I think just proving that they're consistent, proving that, you know, they are in fact actually born to hit baseballs. Like I, I legitimately believe it because hitting, hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports. You gotta, you gotta have a bit of a gift and then put in a lot of hard work to get to where they're at. And I, I think that hard work is being rewarded and we're going to get to see a lot of that reward this season, which fortunately for us, the reward is super fun to watch. So it's like watching people who make fireworks be good at making fireworks because, you know, we get to all consume it and enjoy it. Yeah, no, I mean, it is a beautiful thing. And I mean, 
I'm like kind of getting into college baseball now. Like I feel like there's a lot more incentive to do so after working in the Cape League. And just going on baseball reference and looking at like, what do you mean JJ Weatherholt at 449? Like, what does that even look like? You know, how do, how do, what do you mean Nick Hertz over two years has an OBP of 499? Like that, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, and it just comes naturally to these guys. Like Nick Kurtz was supposed to come to college, and he was dra- he was recruited because defensively he was he was one of the best in the nation. Like his glove is insane, and his bat absolutely came out of nowhere. And the coaching staff at Wake Forest will tell you that too, because they were surprised by it as well. And it was a happy surprise, you know. It, it's a very happy surprise. Yeah, happy to the to the degree of you know, possible number one pick, like probably the best bat in college baseball right now, one could argue. Um, Another guy that has a chance to go number one, a guy that uh, you have spoken to on your podcast, a guy that I have spoken to, everyone's favorite Aussie. It is Travis Bazana, Oregon State. Um, how, How soon do you feel like we could be having conversations about best or most successful Australian baseball player of all time? Because, I mean, it's not super common that you see guys you know really break out coming from there um and i mean he is you know he's making good headlines as a guy that could be the first guy from australia to go in the first round and we're talking about him as a potential one one yeah so for me i mean that conversation can happen whenever people want to start having it it's tough for me because of of course being a weird arm slot guy is one of my idols being peter moylan he was mm-hmm. uh he was a weird arm slot Australian guy who had a long career, but weird arm slot guys do tend to have longer careers. So it it'll be hard for Travis to catch up to where he he was at career wise. But I, I truly believe he's gonna do it because he is so insane at baseball. Like he he has bat to ball skills like no one else in the nation has. And there are a ton of talented people in the nation and I like he's a guy I have so much respect for him like going to college a state away is hard to do as a freshman it's hard for anyone to do especially as like an 18 year old moving across the entire world to play college baseball is incredibly I I can't imagine how hard that is it's got to be pretty hard and so for me I, I just have so much respect for the kid to be able to do that and while that's happening, having so much success on the baseball field, it's it's truly amazing. Like it he is an incredible human being. Like people can't just normally do that. No, I got to uh I got to write a feature about him on the Cape last summer. And my favorite tidbit from that, uh I don't know if you've seen this, talked to him about this, but uh when he was I think seventeen years old, he was playing on Team Australia's eighteen U national team. And he uh wrote a note in like the notes app of his phone that he titled uh, like 2025 World Baseball Classic lineup. And he wrote down like what he thinks will be the Team Australia lineup in what is now the 2026 World Baseball Classic because this was pre-pandemic when the schedule got all messed up. But anyway, he has himself at age 17, he put himself at leadoff and hitting second base for his country. And now that that World Baseball Classic is two years away, like there's really no reason to believe he can't do that. Yeah, I mean, who like think about it. Who else would you pick? You know, like not only is he the best player, but you know the pool the pool of choices for me it's a no brainer like talent wise because his talent's unmatched. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and not only that, but it's two years away. Like by that point, he'll he will have been drafted. He could be at an upper level, the minors, maybe even the majors. Like it's gonna be, it could be even more clear cut by then. 
You ever hear like those stories where it's like you watch a big league baseball player and someone talks about how good they were in high school. Like the example that I'll point to is like Joe Maurer. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this, but like he struck out once in four years of high school baseball, like just absurd things that you don't like comprehend are possible. But when you see it from someone like Joe Maurer, that's already been successful at the majors, you're, you're like, well, yeah, of course he was really good in high school. Like, obviously, look at how good he is in the big leagues. Watching Travis Bazana in the Cape felt like watching one of those play out <laughs> in real time. Yeah, without a doubt. And the incredible thing about it is in high school, he was playing cricket too, you know? Like, so I, I feel like those are two sports that really don't go together, cricket and baseball. And to be good at both, like, I don't know much about his cricket career, but I, I have a tough time believing he wasn't really good at it, you know? So for, for me, it's just like, the amount the wide range of skills he has is so impressive to begin with and then how much success he has on the baseball field really just takes the cake and how impressive he is as a human being yeah no it's been it's been nuts to watch uh his talent play out and yeah it's going to be exciting to watch it continue yeah uh (laughs) yeah um so um before i get into this next question uh are Weird Armstrong guys that brought me to Pat Neshek's career. Uh, 13 years, uh, 146 career ERA plus. So shout out to Pat Neshek, of course. Um, but uh, so uh, uh, another guy who's been considered, you know, top of the, you know, top of the draft class this upcoming year uh, is a guy by the name of Vance Honeycutt. Um, he his numbers kind of um, dropped down a little bit last year. Naturally, you know, it's hard to maintain a, an OPS in the 1080s. Um, how do you see him potentially like? getting back into the race as, you know, a, one of the top picks in the, in the draft. Yeah. So I think last year was super uncharacteristic of him and, you know, it, it was an off season looking at the stat sheet, but he was battling a hamstring injury the whole time. So I'm not sure how often he was a hundred percent during those at bats, but to be hitting 250 in the ACC while banged up is pretty good in my mind so uh, now that he's back and fully healthy like I, I I see no reason why he can't have more offensive production this season more so like his freshman season I think that's kind of more the Vance Honeycutt we're gonna get and defensively I mean the kid is just incredible like he, he was robbing a home run every other weekend last season on essentially one leg like it that doesn't just happen like there's so many special talents in college baseball this year and he is definitely one of them so I, I think this season we're gonna see a lot different Vance Honeycutt than we saw last season and I mean that to be a very good thing not that last season he was bad I don't really think he was bad I would have taken him on my team um but it, it's just a matter of when it comes to his playing potential I know that it's higher than what he showed last year and I'm sure he knows that too and this year everybody's gonna be like wow yeah no it, it was higher than that yeah another and one more guy that uh I wanted a profile as a potential 1-1. A guy that recently went through the transfer portal and went to uh, Wake Forest is uh, Chase Burns, pitcher from previously Tennessee. And Wake Forest has kind of been known for their pitching development over the last few years. You know, they obviously just had Rhett Louder uh, graduate and then get drafted, number, or I believe, number seven overall to the Reds last year. Um, they have Josh Hartle, who is... I believe D1 baseball has him as the number one left-handed pitcher in college baseball. They also have Michael Massey. So how can Wake Forest bring even more 
out of Chase Burns than we've already seen from him at Tennessee. Yeah, so for him, I think it's just more of a being comfortable thing. Like, when it comes to transferring, I don't know why he transferred. I don't know. All I know is when I transferred, it was because I wasn't comfortable, wanted something else, or I wanted something more. And so for him, in his instance, I think it was wanting something more. I think it was wanting to be a starting pitcher and, you know, going to a school where he can do that, where he can develop on the mound. And, you know, if I'm in college baseball and I see how much Wake Forest is developing pitchers, I'm like, okay, well, I want to be the best version of myself probably going to go where I can become the best. And so for me, I feel like that's what that was his thought process. And so I'm really excited this year. That's one of the main things I'm excited to follow is seeing how that plays out, how that different level of comfort and that different environment is for Chase. Because, you know, at Tennessee, he's super, I think he's super successful as a freshman and as a sophomore, he's kind of up and down a little bit. But, you know, you still see that he has all these tools. He has unlimited upside on my mind. And, you know, he, he can get up to 102 deep into his outings, which, I mean, in college baseball, that's so rare. Like, when I played, there were probably three people I can think of off the top of my head who could throw 100 miles an hour. Now everybody's doing it. But Chase, he can do it longer than most people can. And it, it's really fun to see. So I'm really excited to see how he plays out in the Wake Forest uniform, but also just how this team overall performs in general. Because, again, they've lost two very big draft prospects or draft picks last season in Rhett Lauder and Brock Wilkin. But I, I really do think this team reloaded and reloaded well. I don't know if you uh, saw this, but um, uh, MLB.com wrote an article uh, last December talking about the prospect in every, uh, every one of the 30 farm systems in Major League Baseball that they're excited to watch debut this year. And it was, you know, like Paul Skeens for the Pirates and, and James Wood for the Nationals and Evernet. The guy they picked for the Angels, the team that very famously called up Nolan Shonawa last year after getting after drafting him like three weeks earlier, the guy that they picked for the Angels was Seaver King, who is currently <laughs> playing baseball at Wake Forest. So MLB.com was like, we're excited for the Angels to draft uh, Seaver King number eight we're gonna have like the seven teams before are gonna pass on him and they're gonna call him up this year yeah that's a bold call but if if there's someone to predict is gonna do it it's Seaver King because what we're gonna see from him this season is is different like he's gonna be super successful but his success is gonna come from okay a lot of people question can this guy do it at the d1 level well yeah he really can and uh yeah it, it's gonna be very fun to watch him perform but when you see how fast he adjusts to the D1 level, it's going to be like, well, yeah, he'll adjust to that, and I'll be super fast too then. Duh. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. To my knowledge, I don't know if he has any relation to 1800s baseball icon Silver King that had a, <laughs> a tremendous 1886 season. I believe it was, right, Chris? That was the season? Uh, 1888, I believe. 1888 uh, Silver King. Yeah. Two, I, I, you 203, know. 203 career wins as well. He uh, passed for the grid yesterday. Um. <laughs> yeah so i don't know if there's any relation there but you know i mean I, I, we'll have to look into it everybody's still yeah. talking about that 1888 silver are you saying silver king silver king was, yeah. was the guy's name <laughs> what a poll what a poll <laughs> uh yeah let me i'm just gonna fact check this real quick uh yeah 1888 uh he pitched you know the casual 584 and two-thirds innings 
Okay. Um, yeah. Ow. Like like you like you do nowadays. Had a one six three ERA for the uh for the St. Louis Browns of the American Association because I think this was before the National League like even existed. So yeah. my question is, do you think Silver King strikes out Seaver King? Not a chance. I don't think so either. <laughs> Not a Seaver, chance. I think Seaver takes him four fifty dead center. Yeah, no, I don't think he strikes out his potential great 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 grandson. Probably not. <laughs> Yeah, just the advancements in technology and development wise. Yeah, it's... he also, you know, he also didn't strike out a lot of guys either. He only struck out 258 in those 584 innings. Jeez, so when you really break dude. it down, like, what well, come on, like, what are you even doing? 500 innings for what? Nothing to show for it. Yeah. <laughs> no runs, so no one even knows you did them. <laughs> yeah um anyway i had to i had to make that mention because the like the first time i saw his name immediately i was like descendant of silver king by chance <laughs> you never know you never know yeah you never know last question on this year's draft class or not even this year's draft class but after this year who do you feel like is going to be seen as the number one draft prospect for both out of college for both 2025 and 2026 I mean, that's tough. 2026 is hard to do just because, you know, I, I really like for people to go to college first just so I can kind of see what I'm going to get out of them and get their toes really wet. I think next year, Jace Laviolette is going to be someone who's going to get picked pretty high. Him, I mean, the next year's class is absolutely loaded too, especially with outfield talent. I mean, like Cam Canarello immediately comes mm -hmm. to mind as someone who's going to get a lot of money. Billy Amick is another name that immediately comes to attention. That guy is absolutely disgusting. He was born to smash baseballs. His name's coming to mind because I'm on Clemson and people who left Clemson. Um, Cannon Peebles, I think, will be another big one. There, there's a lot. There's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of star potential in terms of freshmen. That oh man, see this. This one always stumps me because I don't know yeah. a ton about freshmen because. You know, high school baseball is foreign to me. But I do know Cam Johnson is going to be absolutely disgusting for LSU. He's going to be someone to watch. Um, Liam Peterson from Florida, actually, I think will probably be one of the highest draft prospects, depending on how, you know, his freshman season goes. But I, I've been hearing reports that that kid is just absolutely disgusting, sitting in the upper 90s with legitimate command of his secondary pitches. So, I, there's a lot of lot of guys to be excited about. My my brain, my brain hurts just thinking about it. <laughs> so one other thing that I it's has kind of been an observation that I've made is in last year's draft class there are a lot of college players taken in the early rounds that have been really like kind of zipping their way through the minor leagues. You know, Paul Skeens is already pitched in Double A. Dylan Cruz has already uh, played in Double A. Uh, Wyatt Langford played in AAA last season, and there's a good chance he's going to be on the Rangers for a majority of this year. Um, Kyle Teal played in AA. Matt Shaw played in AA. Firstin Waldrop played in AAA. And then very famously, Nolan Shonowal got called up. Do you feel like there's sort of a gap that maybe is closing between the competition at college baseball and the lower levels of the minor leagues where teams are kind of realizing, hey, you know what? This guy did so well in college. Why, why don't we just see how he is in AA right now? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's even discussion to be had that, like, you know, some college teams are better than some minor league teams just because of how development has changed and how much the draft and all of that has changed as well, just because you're getting more talented high schoolers 
getting to college campus just because teams are way less likely to take the risk on drafting a kid out of high school because, you know, when you cut teams' draft picks in half, the number they get, each pick becomes more and more valuable. You can't take a risk on a high school kid who might sign when you know a college kid has to sign. So for me, I, I think it's just not so much a matter of like, okay, the game's getting so good that it's like pro baseball, but it's a it's a fact, simple fact of the matter that the talent pool is generally rising. There's just more talent in college baseball throughout throughout it as a whole. So I think having that be the case, you you're going from a instance where okay, it's how is this kid gonna hit 95 to 100 mile an hour fastballs? Well, we don't really know because he's never seen it, but okay, this kid played in the SEC. How's he going to hit 95 to 100 mile an hour fastballs? Well, let's just look at his stats. We know that now. Like the development, everybody has gotten so much better and iron has been sharpening iron for so long that the iron's really good now. And some irons that typically couldn't beat irons in the past can. And it's irons that have been sharpened a little bit less time than other irons. Irons that have been sharpened with better tools than the irons of the past and now that they get to be better irons. sorry i've run too far with this analogy but (laughs) everybody is making each other better and it's really just making the world of college better college baseball better as a whole not college better baseball as a whole do you think it's a special thing with the last year's class in particular or do you feel like maybe it's more of a trend where teams are sort of recognizing the talent that exists without all of college baseball and they're thinking that you know it'll translate a lot more easily to the minor leagues than uh, they've previously thought so, or maybe a combination of both. I think it was special to last year's class, but it it was special because it's going to be the new norm in the sense that last year's class was the first year that we had juniors that were affected by the draft getting shortened during COVID. It was the first year that, you know, COVID gave everybody extra eligibility and that was kind of getting washed out because the people who were coming in at the time were freshmen now they're juniors so i I think it was uncharacteristic the amount of talent we had in college baseball but it was uncharacteristic because of factors that were put into place that are staying in place so it's kind of just going to become the new normal yeah and one thing that i'm very curious about is if this becomes the new norm where teams are drafting guys and then maybe putting them in a, an important role for the next season. May, do you think this maybe appro- like changes the way that some teams approach the draft entirely? Because the, the philosophy has always been you draft the best guy available. It doesn't matter what position he plays because you know what? You're not going to see him for three years and you don't know what your positional needs are going to be in three years. But do you feel like maybe there's a team that's like, hey, we need a first baseman. Nick Kurtz is right there. You know, maybe we like Pizana better, but, you know, we have a second baseman, right? Like, do you think that could become a thing here and there? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility because every team is drafting based on current needs. You know, it's and some of it, of course, is, OK, well, in three years we are going to need this. But a lot of the time it's always what's top of mind. It's like if I'm the Orioles and our pitching sucks, I'm going to be like, OK, well, we're going to get some pitchers this year. Even if we already have some pitchers in the system who are who are good and showing signs of progress, I'm going to load up because I know how bad it is when my pitchers suck. 
that I don't ever want that to happen again. And so I feel like there is a sense of urgency with it now too, in the sense of like, okay, Nick Kurtz can play a very good college first base and he can hit college pitching better than just about anyone in the nation has or can do. So maybe he can do it at the pro level. All I know is whoever gets drafted by the angels in the first round will probably be in the MLB last week um, <laughs> because they, they move so fast. It's, it's really cool how fast they move. I really appreciate them for doing it. I don't know if it's a good move um, professional baseball-wise, but the good news is I don't prof- I don't really pay attention to pro baseball. I focus on the yeah. college guys. So, Chris and I have a bit of a theory on, on why they do it. Um, you've probably seen a lot of reports about how like my, playing in the minor leagues can be very difficult because teams don't provide a lot of, uh, you know, of, of well, first of all, uh, compensation obviously uh but the angels have always been like singled out as like the worst team for it and we think like maybe they recognize that their minor leagues are so bad they just want their they just don't want their players in them that honestly that's a pretty good theory of like okay this is an embarrassing an embarrassing thing we have don't mm-hmm. pay attention to it we got better things go, go to the big leagues meet Shohei. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's it's not inconceivable i don't think um, but not at all. So we have a couple more things here. As we mentioned uh, before the recording started, Chris Gianta is about to embark on his first college baseball season as a Charlottesville resident um, and naturally his first UVA baseball season. And, you know, I've listened to you talk about UVA before, and sometimes I feel like you're maybe a little reluctant to really go deep into how you truly feel because of because of biases. And I get that. But I want you to give your fully biased pitch to Christianta on why he should go watch as many UVA games as possible this season. Honestly, this isn't even really just a bias pick, but just coming from the heart. You know, last year they had two players, Ethan Anderson and or Kyle Teal and Jake Geloff, who got drafted and they were insane. And people were like, oh, I don't know how this team's going to be without them. Um, I played for this team before Jake and Kyle were there. They were good. They were good at baseball. They're going to be good at baseball again without them. Um, They were a big part of the success, don't get me wrong. But they have a ton of talent um, just in terms of returning talent and guys with experience. But with Coach Oak at the helm, Brian O'Connor is one of my favorite people in the entire world. He is the best. He is a great person. He He could take a team of blind cats and convince them to win a baseball game. So... For me, every year, I'm never too concerned with who is on UVA and how talented they are leading into the season because I'm like, okay, well, my friend Brian's still there, so they're they're going to be fine. But they do have a ton of talent. I know Henry Ford is a new first baseman who everybody's been super excited about. He's going to hit a lot of home runs, so you're going to want to tune into him. Griff O'Farrell at shortstop is one of the best shortstops in college baseball. And fundamentally, it's like watching Griff O'Farrell play shortstop is like watching uh, fundamentals of shortstop VHS tape you would get in the mail. Like it, it really is a clinic, and it's really just pure fundamental baseball. Um, behind the plate, they'll have Ethan Anderson, who's a switch hitting catcher who can hit home runs from the left side and the right side, um, which is always super exciting. On the mound, they're going to have a lot of transfers, but one guy that they will have returning is Jack O'Connor. He's a sophomore. He'll throw in the mid to low, the low to mid 90s. 
legit four pitch mix. You they're they're going to be a good group to turn into. I'm jealous of how many baseball games you're going to get to go to in Charlotteville. Just uh just when you go remember to uh if you go early in the season it will be cold. That that's a simple fact. But down the right field line at Disharoon Park there is if you're on the concourse there's a building with elevators in it. In that building with elevators, there is a family restroom that has the warmest heater in the world. So if you're at one of these cold games, go to that bathroom, try it out. Let me know what you think. It's the best place. Noted, noted. Appreciate it. But yeah, that that's my general sales pitch with guys you're going to want to watch along with where to defecate and urinate if you need it. You know, just in case. Appreciate it. Appreciate the appreciate the guide for uh, UVA baseball. I'm I'm trying to they they have a three game series against Hof, Hofstra this weekend, so I'll see I'll try to try to head out there, especially yeah, especially in like uh, in February I can withstand the cold a little bit because I expect it, but if it get if it's still cold in March, maybe I'll I'll hold off a little bit. <laughs> Chris yeah, and I are also cold. from the Northeast, so nothing new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. W- you can weather the storm. I'm telling you, that bathroom's super warm. You know, when I played, there was a bathroom in the bullpen I'd go to, super warm. It, it just works out. Perfect. So we have we have one last question, and we we asked this last question to all of our guests. I think we're gonna try to put a little college baseball spin on it, though. So, are you familiar at all with uh, Statcast, the uh, you know the statistics service provided by Major League Baseball? Mm-hmm. So, if you could pick any player of all time. Uh, let's say both in Major League Baseball history and in college baseball history, uh, to obtain all of their stat cast data, you get to see their exit velocity, you get to see their their pitch velocity, uh, their spray charts, everything that comes with that. Uh, who would you choose? Man, that's tough. I immediately, my first thought goes to me because I had a ground out my junior year um, on one pitch I saw. I just want to know how hard I hit it. Um, it's like a burning question. If I had a genie, I would ask him how hard I hit that ground ball double play against Hofstra, believe it or not. <laughs> um, but, uh, weirdly enough, but I, I think that would be a good one to see. I'm trying to think who else there's this guy named Rue Bladell way back in the day who I, I would love to see his velos. I would love to see any submariner before the year 1950, because I like to believe and live in this fantasy land where if I was born in the 1930s and I could weather the economic storm and turmoil as a baby in the 1930s and I could make it out, I would have been in the MLB throwing 87 with sink because I, I don't believe anyone was throwing like leaps and bounds harder than that by then. Like I, I don't believe it. So I want to see stats. I want to see data on submariners pre 1970s. I yeah, think... I'm sorry. Did did I catch a Rube Waddell name drop in there? Yeah, that's one of my favorites. You can't that's, beat the Rube. That is, we we keep track of who who these answers are, and if we ever get repeats, if we ever get a Rube Waddell again, you're the first person I'm going to. I don't think anyone will ever say that again. Uh, but I absolutely love icon. it. Like the dude would send his defense into the dugout and say, "Don't worry, I'm just going to strike everyone out and do it." And but I would did. love to see the stat cast data of like a Rube Waddell uh, gave up a bomb, but it was a ground ball to the third baseman. Just no one was on the field, you know? So I, I want to know how fast he was throwing. He had the pitch called the Thunderball, 
which how hard does it have to be to be a Thunderball and could I classify? You know, that's what I want to know, really. I, th- yeah. I think we all have sort of that fantasy of like how far back in baseball history do we have to go to be like in a, an elite MLB player or for Daniel and I just like an actual MLB player. And I think Daniel and I might be able to like swing it in the 1870s, 1880s based on their skill level. I think we could have I think we could have hung. But I feel like everyone sort of has that fantasy of like if if we were born 100 years earlier, how would we fare? Um, assuming, honestly. yeah, assuming we had the same skill level. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would, I'd be sick. And like a lot of people are like, oh, if I had a time machine, like I'd save people or and I'd invent the iPhone. Boring. Boring. Yeah. Come I would on. go up and I'd just carve. I'd win an ESPY. I would also <laughs> make the ESPYs, you know, in the 1930s. <laughs> hey, everybody, you don't have money. You're sad. Here's an award. Yeah. All of the, all of the great athletes of the 1930s <laughs> would get there, would get their honors yeah of course of course and you know i had to reward a run other than bake runs you know could you uh could you have struck out babe ruth yeah i think yeah that's that's the correct answer i think especially 1930s babe ruth when it's like he was at the end of his career oh brave braves babe ruth come on yeah braves babe ruth no shot yeah (laughs) no shot he's gonna hit off off steven more more hot dog water than blood in him you know (laughs) (laughs) He could definitely eat more hot dogs than me, I think. Actually, oh, he know. definitely could. Yeah, in, in oh. any era. Yeah, that that's just that that transcends time. Yeah, and it's it's chestnut, it's Ruth. Like that's that's the list. <laughs> and that's it. End list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that yeah, I think that just about um yeah it wraps it up. Uh, very very lengthy and fun interview with here with uh. Stephen Shock uh, of D1Baseball.com. Um, yeah, any uh, anything you want to anything that we did mention you want to you want the people to know about? Nah, just that college baseball is super rad. This season is rapidly approaching, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. College baseball has more talent in it than it's ever had, including last year where I said it had more talent in it than it ever had. Because it truly gets better and better with age, much like cheese. It gets better with time. Each year it's going to get better and better. Some years it might get a little stinky and moldy, but we just forget about those years. Those years are actually the better years because that's when the weirder stuff happens. That's when, you know, when cheese is moldy, I believe that's when it's best, I've heard. I don't really know much about cheese, the cheese industry. I'm a college baseball guy. I know about college baseball. College baseball is definitely rad. You're going to want to tune in. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, I've had a blast. I mean, I couldn't have said it any better myself. I mean, that's, you know, you said what we were all thinking there. (laughs) Of course. I know everyone was immediately thinking moldy cheese. So I was like, I'll get it out. Save everybody else the trouble. I'll wear it. Yeah, well, Stephen Shock, thank you so much. Uh, college baseball season starts this weekend, I believe. Opening day is the 16th. Yeah, you can listen to him all season on the Shock Factor Pod. You can follow him on Twitter at, I believe it's Big Donkey 47. Is that correct? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, you're gonna want, and you're gonna want to follow this guy for the entirety of the season, including the draft and everything that goes beyond that. So, Stephen Shock, thank you for joining us. Of course. And uh, yeah, tremendous, tremendous interview, as we expected, as we expected. Um, 
yeah wonderful wonderful stuff <laughs> here with Stephen shock but uh but yeah um you know great to uh great to kind of you know college baseball at, at the very least can serve as a primer for the MLB season because it's you know watching college baseball is is a probably a better experience than watching a spring training game just based on the competitiveness and whatnot so I mean it's, it's anything is what better than watching a spring training MLB game I'm sorry yeah <laughs> but like if it's wild house spring training and I get it like the players don't even really want to be there but like it's wild how we go through the four month off season five month off season and we're you know we're missing baseball we want it back and here it is, spring training baseball. And for me, every year, I get to like day three, and I'm like, all right, get me, get me to late March. Like I've had enough of this. I I'd love to see a viewership chart of like, of like the first two innings of a spring training game, yeah, and then versus the that, other like nine hundred. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's. It's also it's... funny, like for us personally, because we're Red Sox fans, so we get to have see them uh playing Northeastern every year. And, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, if in my in my time as a fan, I don't think Northeastern has ever beaten them. I mean, this might be the year, right? There's 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 a there's definitely a a a chance there with with the uh, the old Huskies. I believe they are. Yeah, uh, Northeastern they are the Huskies. Huskies. I mean, they have. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, obviously the Red Sox look kind of weak this year. Right now, they haven't made many moves after coming in last back-to-back years. The Northeastern Huskies ha- are a nationally ranked team, according to Baseball America. Uh, Baseball America has them at number twenty-four, and uh, they have a top draft prospect in Mike Sorota. Uh, so if there's a if there's a uh, if there's a year, this could be it. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited to see that. What here's what I'm hoping for is they do beat them and there's still some good free agents on the market. And then that that's the final straw for the ownership. Yeah. Is the Red Sox <laughs> lose the Northeast and they're like, all right, Jordan Montgomery, six years. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think that's best case scenario. Um, but, but yeah, yeah we just so... got torn up by Dennis collar and throwing like one Oh one. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we we're, need... Looking optimistically, I think that's the best case scenario for the Red Sox. But, um, but yeah, enough about enough about spring training baseball. Um, we will cover that more in depth. No, we won't. But we will we, cover that once. We will cover that once. Um, maybe if there's an injury that happens, uh, we will Hopefully we will not. cover spring training baseball. But, um, but yeah, good to talk college baseball. And now to get into some MLB related news, uh, because we do have a. We do have, you know, a, a lineup of things to talk about MLB related, uh, and that will start with the Bobby Witt Jr. extension that just happened, but then we'll get into the Jose Altuve ex- extension, and then we will get into our first edition of the yes. divisional breakdowns, starting with the NL Central this year, um, which, you know, just like every year, it's just like every year. And normally we choose normally we choose it first because it's usually the least interesting division. But the past two years, we've gone with the list randomizer and list randomizer has gone nl central back-to-back years because even the randomizer knows how uninteresting the nl central is so uh we'll start out with it and we and i think this year the list randomizer has it ending on the al east so the they they also seems like a thing we do every year as well yes yes so i think randomizer is like maybe we have to go to another randomizer because it seems like they know a little bit too much. Yeah, um, like the AI is becoming a little too advanced. Like I'm just I did not list 
you know, the that it was MLB divisions. I just put in the three letter abbreviations like A L E N L W N L C and it spits out a list in just in an order. And yeah, I mean, it, it clearly is a little self-aware, especially with the order that it put out this year, because it goes uh, NL Central, NL West, NL East, AL Central, AL West, AL East. So it was a little too pattern like this year. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and yeah, so um, nonetheless, we will be getting into the NL Central this week. But first, we have two bits of news, two contract extensions of with guys in completely different uh, points in their career. Uh, but starting with Bobby Witt Jr., uh, he gets 11 years, $288 million. There's a lot of um, things that go into it. It could be anywhere from, based on opt-outs and then team options, it could be anywhere from, I believe, seven years to 14 years. It's kind of like that Julio Rodriguez deal that the Mariners signed. But uh, yeah, what were your thoughts on this on this uh, massive deal? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to love this for the Kansas City Royals. I mean, they're a team that, you know, has not really been relevant since 2015. They have not uh, had a winning season since then. They obviously haven't made the playoffs. And they also have one of the worst farms in baseball right now. So there's just not a whole lot to get excited about, uh, not just now, but really in the future. But Bobby Wood Jr. is exactly that. Um, This was a guy that they drafted number two overall in 2019, just after Adley Rutschman. Um, you know, it was a clear cut pick to make and, uh, you know, they made it and he's been uh, pretty worth it. All right. I mean, it took us a couple of years to get there, but we really saw the true breakout uh, at the end of last season, if through the end of July, through the end of the season, where he was uh, one of the top five uh, best players, position players in terms of wins above replacements uh, in Major League Baseball. And he's obviously going into, I believe, his age 24 season, I think. Or maybe it's a 23. Uh, th- I think, I think it's 23. 23, yeah. He is going into, uh, he's at age 23.7 right now. So, yeah, I think he's going into age 23. One of those, like, really close to the July 1st border birthdays. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, he is. Okay, he was born June 14th. So, yeah, he's going to age 24 then. Okay, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this is a very good extension, I think. You know, obviously, I put him at number two on my shortstop rankings. You put him at number four. Um, And this is going to be a deal that uh, it simulates his arbitration. Uh, I, mean, I, I think this year would have been his last year pre-arb, so he's only making $2 million this year as part of the extension. He's making that. That's Shohei Otani money, if you will. But, uh, you know, it starts to increase more as the years go on in accordance to, I think, is a pretty fair uh, assessment of what he might get in arbitration. Yeah, well, um, yeah, the 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 contract breakdown is pretty interesting um, with Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, I'm looking up the details of the contract right now. Um, But, uh, so so yeah, it, this the arbitration simulation is uh, seven million first year, thirteen million uh, second year, and then nineteen million in the third year. Which yeah, does that does mark the those are the marks of like very good players, but not necessarily um not necessarily like elite players. And I'm I'm not saying that the uh, Royals are not marking him down as an elite player because they're giving him two hundred eighty eight million dollars and a lot of post um a lot of like post arbitration money is being handed out to him, but I think they really, really wanted to backload this contract, um, you know, for whatever reasoning they have, because yeah, like 
um, comparing it to some of the other like third year arbitrations that are out there. So Bobby Witt Jr. is at 19. Mookie Betts, he, you know, obviously an elite player, but he got, I think, $28 million. Uh, Shohei Otani got $30, $30 million. Uh, Nolan Arenado, I think, got $27 million. So, you know, they, I think um, what that signifies to me with the Royals is they want to um, sort of backload that contract. And that's exactly what they're doing with uh, giving him, $35 million every single year from 2031 to 2034. Um, so, uh, and then after that, there's team options at 33 million, 28 million and 28 million. That's a lot of money that they're going to be uh, potentially throwing around for Bobby Witt Jr. Um, and ba- you know, if they pick up those team options, it takes them through age 37, which is pretty crazy. They're all, they're essentially making him a Royal for life um, in one contract. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's if they take all the club options starting at his age 35 season, uh, which, you know, I mean, is he going to be worth $35 million at age 35? It's hard to say, you know, historically, the answer to that would probably be no, but he also does have a lot of opt-outs. He gets an opt-out after 2030, 31, 32, or no, out of, yeah, okay, it's it's 30, 31, 32, 33, he gets opt-outs after, so, yeah, there are a lot of different, um, you know, stipulations with this contract in terms of Bobby Wood Jr. wanting out, the Royals wanting out. Um, but either way, he's guaranteed uh, to be getting this money up until at the very least the, uh, at, you know, through the 2030 season and after that. Right. And and the reason why a lot of these teams backload contracts is because, you know, um, you know, for the Royals, $35 million a year won't be as crazy in 2030 as it would be now. Um, whether that be, you know, literal inflation of the U.S. economy or just the growing uh, baseball business and owners being able to make more off their teams throughout time. You know, this is just it's just a thing that happens. That's why record breaking contracts happen all the time is because players make more money. So the idea of paying someone thirty five million dollars a year uh, in 2030 is not as um, daunting a task as it would be uh, as it would be in, in 2023. So, um so yeah, and so the idea of them picking up some clubs, picking up some thirty-three million dollar club options in at his age thirty-five season, might not be the crazy as crazy sounding ten years from now as it would be uh, now. So, so yeah, it, it should be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, yeah, and it, I think um, when I when I saw this contract, I kind of thought about what you said when we were ranking those top shortstops. Uh, was you know you said like him, his second half is much closer to what he's like as a player as the previous points in his career. And with the Royals signing this contract, I think that is it. That is a sign that they believe that as well, um, which is a really good sign. And, and, you know, a really good, a really good thing for an organization that has been pretty much all negative news for almost a decade now. Yeah. I also think that it's very good that the Royals have their guy. Right, because Kansas City is, you know, a very growing sports market, right? I mean, the Chiefs have been, you know, on this run of dominance now for six years. Like, they have uh, an absolute superstar with Patrick Mahomes. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, reason to pay attention about the chief, to the Chiefs in that town. The Royals never really had that guy. And, like, obviously trying to have their own Patrick Mahomes is a very tough thing to live up to because he's that, you know, that big of a superstar. But... Like, there's a guy where, you know, 
the Royals can look and be like, hey, you guys have your guy. This is our guy. Like this is the this these two. They're gonna run this city for the next ten years, uh, or however long that you know Mahomes' contract is for, and then Wits is obviously for the now, now the next uh, at the very least seven years. So you know it's good that the Royals have the guy that they're like, hey, you guys have your guy over at Arrowhead. This is our guy right here at Kauffman. We're also trying to build a new stadium right now. So like. You know this. You know this guy, and you know is going to lead this team down this road. We're going to get to this stadium, and you know eventually we're going to try to win some games. Um, but you know I think of the first step of that is having a, a defined player to build your franchise around, and that's what the Royals have. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And it's 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 like it's fairly bold, and and you know maybe it's relative for the Royals because of you know how not aggressive we we've seen them over time, but. It's kind of bold to do this at a point where they they're coming off a 56 win season. Um, they probably didn't sell the most amount of tickets they've ever sold. They probably didn't get the most amount of viewership on their you know you know on their TV network as they have before. But they still you know they they wanted to send out a signal and say you know we we want this guy for a really really long time. Um, and I think part of the reason of that is from like. We mentioned his uh, numbers from July on. Uh, he hit 310 with a 929 OPS and 26 stolen bases, and he he ranked sixth in position player F4 behind only Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna Jr., Matt Olson, and Julio Rodriguez, who were all premier MVP candidates last year. And Bobby Witt Jr. himself finished seventh in the MVP as a 23-year-old, uh, despite a, a slower uh, first half. So um so yeah like that's kind of that's kind of the guy they're going for and i think with a deal like this they're they're what they're anticipating is like their closest thing to george brett since george brett uh yeah. you know they they kind of you know they've had fran they've had sort of you know fringe franchise players guys that have been around a long time like salvador perez and alex gordon but have not played at the level of someone like george brett i think what they're anticipating with this contract here is bobby witt uh is the closest uh in terms of playing ability to george brett since george brett in the in the 1980s yeah i mean the royals have been a franchise since what 1977 right um is that the year they started yeah um no, uh, 1969, yeah. 69. Okay, so they've been around for over 50 years now. And George Brett's kind of their one franchise legend. Like, true franchise legend, right? Like, I mean, like, if you want a good example, like, you know, a couple months ago, like, Royals Hall of Famer was on the Immaculate Grid, and George Brett was, like, over 90% of the answers. Like, that's not a normal thing, because, you know, all you had to do was have played for them even one game. George Brett's the only guy, you know, one of the only guys that's been there at all, but also the only guy that really uh, has his career associated with the Royals. Um, so when you've been around for 50 years and you have one guy, you know, you you gonna you need to expand on that. And Bobby Wood Jr. is, yeah, I mean, the closest thing to George Brett since George Brett. I think you nailed that. Yeah, yeah, or at least that's what they're anticipating, you know. Um, and and you know, it makes a good bit of sense. Like this is, um, you know, only. He was evaluated as only Adley Rutschman was better than him in that 2019 draft. And look at how Adley Rutschman has has turned out for Baltimore so far. Like, yeah, you know, that's by the way, I do think I do think that this signing kind of leaves no excuse for Baltimore. Yeah, that is true. I mean, right. we, we talked about that ownership group and the potential there. So um, 
yeah, hope, hoping for good stuff there. I'm sure Rutschman won't get 11 years because he is a bit older, but um, still, like you need that guy. <laughs> you need that guy in Baltimore. I think it's very possible that within five years, free agency becomes a lot more watered down and less like big namey because I think we're going to start seeing, I mean, like if we're at the point of extensions where the Kansas City Royals watch Bobby Wood Jr. be elite for two months and they're like, yep, Royal for life. Let's do it right now. I think, you know, a lot of teams are going to start following this trend. A lot have already. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot of teams are going to start signing guys, you know, these types of contracts that... Uh, simulate arbitration you know if, if a team truly believes they have a guy uh, and there we've seen teams do it more recently like before guys even step on a on a major league field right like we saw the brewers do it with jackson chorio we've seen uh, the tigers do it with colt keith recently and obviously these are not the first teams to do it right like the white Sox did it with two of their guys the phillies very famously did it with scott kingery like uh the i mean the diamondbacks did it with corbin carroll uh, after you know only a year or so of playing like it's not super uncommon but i think we're going to start seeing a lot more of this in the next few years yeah yeah the 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 diamondbacks did it with 30 mlb games of corbin carroll mm-hmm. um yeah like uh yeah it it could be interesting i think i think yeah the only if if this trend keeps going it could be a, a situation where the free agents that we see are guys that really emerged in like second or third year of, of arbitration yep. and maybe weren't necessarily great in their first few years of their career. Um, like someone like uh Carlos Rodon, you know, who who, mm-hmm. you know, had a big splash in free agency. Or guys that just like really want to go on the open market, which like, you know, yeah. like fair enough if you want to. Yeah, like Juan Soto is an exception is an yeah. exception. Like he's denied four hundred forty million dollars. Scott before. Forrest is going to have ninety percent of MLB free agents soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's going to have all of them actually free. Like there will be no no agents uh outside of Scott Forrest that participate in free agency. Yeah, he's going to have he's going to have the monopoly. He's going to be the Google like the Google of uh how Google is with search search engines. He'll be that with um yep, with MLB players. And like if you go to another free agency, it's like you use Bing as a as a prime as a yeah, exactly. search engine what what are you doing man you have the bing app on your phone who who does that but uh <laughs> but yeah like yeah it's it seems it seems to be good um and i guess like the only potential negative with this and you know it's it's still good for the league is that uh you know big market teams won't be able to right their wrongs in free agency as much um you know like like you know, Red Sox have done previously uh, with, you know, they they haven't developed a pitcher in a while, but they've gone out and gotten free agent pitchers and and whatnot. You know, not in the past few years, but uh, you know, they've gone out on the trade market or they've uh, gone out and signed big free agent pitchers and been able to right their wrongs um, organizationally. So, and that's been the case with a lot of teams, Yankees, Mets, all those big market teams. But for small market teams, this could be a this could be a, you know, a a preview of what's to come, which would be really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, is that all we got on Bobby Wood Jr.? Yeah. Pro- yeah. Probably. Yeah. Good. Good for the Royals. Um. So yeah. Uh. Onto a uh another extension, but instead of a twenty-four year old, I believe it's a thirty-four year old or thirty-three year old, maybe. Um. Jose Altuve, and and this was broken by the Astros' Twitter account. They said Jose Altuve will be an Astro for life, which makes me root for him still being really good at at 
age like 38 and signing with like <laughs> signing with a different team and and making that look like sort of a jinx um but still uh, a five-year 125 million dollar extension for jose altuve who was heading into free or he was heading into his last year on his contract um the, uh for 2024 uh what did you think about this extension it makes me happy like i you know i had been perusing jose altuve's fan graphs and baseball reference pages uh throughout the offseason and seeing free agent 2025 on there like gave me uh you know made me a little nervous uh because the thought of him even talking to other teams just feels very wrong you know he's a guy that i think has to be a Houston Astro for life like it's the team that uh you know signed him at age 16 there's the remarkable story that he has with uh, getting cut from like the his first tryout to just coming back anyway, getting signed, uh, and then becoming, uh, you know, sort of the face of the franchise. I mean, he very famously has played, uh, in the All Star game, uh, with the Astros as a National League All Star, like that's how long he's been in the organization. Um, so I don't know the thought of Jose Altuve with a different team just seems wrong, and I'm glad we don't have to think about it now for another at least five years, if ever. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, yeah, because because that he's one of the rare players on that team, and no discredit to like other players on the team. It's just he's because he's been around for so long. Like he went through that horrible rebuild that, um, you know, a lot of people sort of forget about, like that 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 rebuild where you know Hunter Pence, Michael Bourne, Lance Berkman were all gone. They're you know wearing the the cool Astros logo with the open star and whatnot they have the pinstripes and whatnot uh and Altuve is just there you know putting up 200 hits a season but he seems to be the only player that uh is really playing well but um you know he goes through that rebuild and then immediately uh when they start succeeding becomes uh one of the drivers of their success and uh and yeah and this is this contract also should be noted is by no means a, a thank you contract. This is an investment for the Astros. He has still been, you know, even in his, you know, whatever, 13th year of major league baseball, still been an amazing contributor for the, for the Astros and, and their lineup. And uh, even on defense and on the bases, like he's been a great contributor over the last two seasons. He is yeah. he has the twelfth most F war among position players in baseball, and that is despite missing uh seventy two games over these past two years or seventy two games in in twenty twenty three, and he's still the twelfth best position player in baseball over the last two years, and uh, you know he will look to continue that. We had him, we both had him ranked top three, uh, second as a second baseman. So so yeah, this is. This isn't like a oh yeah we're keeping you around just so we can have you around. This is like okay we're you know you've been really really good and we really want you on the team and we think you're gonna um, contribute to another championship here. Yeah, outside of 2020, he has an OPS plus above 125 in every season since 2014. Yeah, um, which is now 10 years ago, which makes me feel very old. But, uh. Yeah, I mean, he's been one of the most consistent hitters in baseball. You know, he he, he obviously has always given the vibe of, like, high contact, not so much power guy. 
but he's really taken advantage of the Crawford boxes in Houston, right? I mean, he has over 200 career home runs uh, with a 307 career batting average. By the way, like he currently has the highest career batting average of every active player. Um, and, you know, performance wise and on field, uh, you know, production, like he is going to be a future Hall of Famer. Of course, the only thing that might stop him is people that vote against him because of his alleged possible involvement with the with the sign stealing scandal. Uh, you know, I, I don't you know, no seeing how the, the BBWA handled uh, steroids. It's hard to imagine they're going to look too deep into Altuve's possible lack of involvement. So that's been uh, cited by multiple different people. Um, so that could be a factor. But other than that, we know that he's going to be an Astro for at the very least, the next five years, likely the rest of his career. I mean, if he gets to age 38 and is still an Astro and still performing, I'd still find it hard to believe they'd let him go because they, they've they already, you know, at this point, the Astros are potentially choosing an Altuve extension over a, uh, over a Alex Bregman extension, over a Kyle Tucker extension, over a Framber Valdez extension. Um, they have already extended Jordan, which is great, but like they're they're committing to him and you know they might also do one or two of those other things but they're definitely going to let someone go uh because they didn't have the money because they already gave it to Altuve so like this is a very real commitment uh being made to a guy that they want to be in their franchise for his entire career yeah 100% and and yeah very, <clears throat> has very well earned it and yeah, will likely continue to be a great contri- contributor for this team. Like, yeah, I mean, over the last two years, out of 105 players with 1,000 plate appearances uh, over these last two years, he is fifth in average and sixth in OPS. And that's as a, you know, five foot six second baseman. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's just amazing and he's been amazing. And uh, and yeah, on a... he's also he's also probably going to retire with the most postseason home runs of all time. Yeah, yeah, right. Because yeah. he's like what one behind Manny now, I think. Um, yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not completely sure. He is 27. Um, but yeah, and to to add to your point, yeah, it, it is it is a great you know, um, signal to Altuve that they really really want him, despite him you know being on the wrong end of 30. Because yeah, Kyle Tucker is only has two more years of control left. Alex Bregman only has one more year year of control left. So, and not saying that they won't sign those guys, but uh, they signed Altuve first among among those two talented guys that are both younger than him uh, by at least a couple of years. So yeah, that is a good point you make that you know they chose him instead of uh, some of these younger guys. Um, yeah, anything more on the Altuve deal? I think that's about it. Yeah. All right. So that will bring us to. Um, our first edition of the of the annual divisional breakdowns, our fifth one, crazy to think about. I don't know about you, but this is my favorite time of the year. Uh, this is my favorite annual segment that we do. It has to be. It's it's up there because like when I think of it, it's like you know we start we start around this time. It's it's a little bit before spring training, and we've done it differently. We've done like two divisional breakdowns at a time, so different at different points of the year, but. At, with each divisional breakdown, it, the the weather gets warmer. Leaves leaves start might appearing on trees. Uh, guys are getting more, you know, starters are getting more playing time in their spring training games. It's getting closer, and then all of a sudden, divisional breakdowns end, and we get into prediction season. And and there it is. And it's like this is like this is our spring training. This is where yeah. we get 
This is where we where this we is, start. This is our. Them. I mean, yeah, this is our pitchers and catchers for sure. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, um, and yeah, we'll start there's out... so much like there's so much fake stuff to get excited about around this time of year. Like truck day is such a not real thing. Like pitchers and catchers is have never moved me because, like, first of all, they never actually get there on their report date. They always get there like a week early. Like people like Shohei Otani's already at spring training, right? Yeah, he's not supposed to report for like another few days i know the, the actual date dates for this year like i you know at this point i just remind myself that i don't really care about spring training even though sometimes i think i do uh like there's so much fake stuff to get excited about but this is something real for us at least yeah yeah and the nl central is our truck day and then the al east will be <laughs> will be our NL five and central start. division previews are our <laughs> truck day but they're like the good version AL, AL East will be our like five inning start where like we we get nine strikeouts and we're like oh man this guy's about to blow up this year um yeah. but uh <laughs> but yeah um so so yeah we'll get into the NL Central which always had the good thing about the NL Central is like we can we can dig up some um we can dig up some gold where maybe we didn't think there was some gold because there's always you know under the radar players and whatnot just what just what happens when you're in an NL Central market. So, without further ado, do we want to start talking about the Cardinals? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So the Cardinals, um, just to get into the state of them, and and we go through additions and subtractions, not in depth, but just address who they've lost and who they've added. Um, and you know, at this stage of the offseason, these still aren't complete, but this is what we got so far. So Cardinals coming off a seventy-one and ninety-one year. Uh, with and a last place finish in the NL Central, which was, you know, they were probably one of the more disappointing teams of 2023. Um, and uh, in the offseason, they lost Adam Wainwright to retirement. Uh, they traded Tyler O'Neill. They lost Andrew Kinzer or Kisner, I believe is the is how you pronounce it. Um, Kinsner. Kid, uh, yeah, Kisner. Oh wait, Kins. It might be Kinsler. Is it the catcher? Yeah, I think it's Kin. I don't know. That's Brandon Kinsler. The reliever. Yeah. yeah. Brandon Kisner, Dakota Hudson, Jake Woodford, and Juan Yepes, they all lost. And they added Sonny Gray, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, Matt Carpenter, and Andrew Kittredge. Uh, who is your player to watch from the Cardinals? So, of course, uh, if you know me, you know who my, who my Cardinals player to watch is. Uh, this year and every year, uh, for the rest of time, it is Andre Pallante. It is a repeat of my player to watch from this team last year because everything I said about him only magnified even more in 2023. In 2023, Andre Pallante put up a 77% ground ball rate and a 7.1% fly ball rate. And this was in 226 batted balls allowed. Uh, that ground ball rate was the highest among the 3,161 seasons since 2008 with at least 200 batted balls, and that fly ball rate was the second lowest on that list. Um, and the thing that really is, is very impressive about, is about Andre Pallante is he is the best ground ball pitcher in the game, but he's very non-traditional with it. Usually ground ball pitchers use a sinker, maybe on some occasions they use a changeup, maybe even a split finger, but instead Andre Pallante uses a fastball, a four-seam fastball, which is supposed to rise which is supposed to get hitters to get on the bottom of it, to pop it up, to hit it high in the air. Andre Pallante does the exact opposite. Why? It is because his four-seam fastball 
Uh, it's gripped like a four-seamer, it spins like a four-seamer, but it moves like a sinker. And because of that, it gets sinker results. His ground ball, his uh, ground ball rate on his four-seamer last year was 83.5%, over 10% higher than any other season since 2008 with at least 50 batted balls against a four-seamer. And he had 170 batted balls against his four-seamer. Uh, in 2023, his four-seam fastball averaged 20 inches of downward movements. The average is 15, 15.2 inches. The average on sinkers is 23.7. So... Uh, his, you know, again, his four seam fastball, it moves like a sinker. Uh, now he throws it 96 miles per hour on average. Uh, so his combination of both velocity and downward movement is what gives him this ability. It's something that no one else has ever been able to replicate in major league baseball to, to any near extent of this. Uh, just to give you an idea in 2023, Andre Pallante threw 257 four seam fastballs that were 96 miles per hour with at least 20 inches of downward movement, both of those things. No one else had more than 147 such pitches, and he had 257, so he had 110 more than the next best person. 34% of his fastballs uh, had these metrics. No one else had more than 19.4% of their fastballs with these metrics. And lastly, his fastball had a run value of 19 last year. That means the results of his fastball produced or prevented approximately 19 runs. That is the second most of any pitch used by a reliever. Um, I will never stop being fascinated with Andre Pallante until more people start doing what he's doing. And as of right now, there's no reason to believe anyone else is even close. There are a couple guys that are interesting. Justin Steele is similar, uh, but no one else is anywhere near the same stratosphere in terms of uh, ground ball rate against fastballs than Andre Pallante. Yes, Andre Pallante. You had the pleasure of watching Andre Pallante multiple times. Twice. Um, an, unplan- an unplanned event. But it did. It just ha- happened right in front of your face. He got some ground balls, like he always does. Yeah. And uh. And yeah. Just, I, I was. I was very happy for you in that respect. And yeah, when you mentioned the four seamers rising, like you know, like uh, not a literal rise, but it has four four seamers have the um, you know, less gravitational effect, so it appears like it's rising. Um, and you know that's why hitters get under it is like, oh, this they think this ball is going lower, but it's going higher. And uh, yeah, that's why they, you know, that's why they swing swinging under it. And Palante, uh, he, that his fastball doesn't have that effect. It seems to have a great gravitational effect, and uh, and it seems to drop and cause ground balls for for whatever reason. So, should yeah, it's 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 a very interesting case to look at. Um, my uh, Cardinals player to watch. So, I will say, like, I had a tough time finding someone under the radar considering the names they have and outside of the names they had I, it was it was just hard for me to find someone that really stuck out so i went with a little bit of a higher profile guy it's one of their additions and uh you know i'll use this time to uh talk about sunny gray once again and, and i feel like i'm falling into my 2021 hyunju hyunjin ryu trap where i was talking about how great hyunjin ryu was uh and then he fell off but um i gotta i gotta talk about sunny gray while i can because yeah, he's a he's been one of the best pitchers that you just haven't been hearing about as much. Um, albeit he was a Cy Young finalist last year, but still, I, I don't I don't think it gets the uh, recognition that a lot of people should give. Uh, Sonny Gray, out of sixty four pitchers with two hundred plus innings pitched since the start of the second half in twenty twenty two, Gray ranks second in ERA, third and fifth, and has the lowest home runs per nine. That is a 
That is a uh, year and a half span in which Sonny Gray is a top three pitcher in MLB in ERA, FIP, and home runs per nine. Uh, I don't think that gets addressed enough. And looking at uh, a more detailed analysis of his of his success, um, he ha- had tremendous success with his sweeper last year. Uh, opposing batters hit 097 and slugged 118 off of his sweeper last year and whiffed on 41% of swings against them. And his 19 run value on his sweeper was the highest among sweepers by five runs last year. Uh, he he had the most success off that pitch out of anyone in baseball last year. And out of 33 pitchers to throw uh, 300 plus sweepers last year, he had the second most vertical drop on his sweeper. So, um, you know, he got the, he got the second most vertical movement on that sweeper, which probably had a lot to do with why hitters were swinging and missing on it and just not hitting it well. Um, and uh, that's part of the reason why he was a Cy Young runner-up last year and why I think, you know, this was one of the more um, underappreciated signings of the offseason. And I think I think some uh, I think teams who aren't the Cardinals should be a little bit more mad that they didn't go out and get Sonny Gray. Um, so, yeah, now on to question time. Yeah, I feel like Sonny Gray is like kind of the face of the sweeper. Like it was him on the mound at last October when Adam Wainwright was in the booth explaining the difference between a slider and a sweeper because Sonny Gray was like kind of the most relevant guy to talk about it with. Um, yeah, but anyway, let's get into questions. Buy or sell? Jordan Walker will qualify for the batting title and have an exit velocity in the 85th percentile or higher. Now for context, he had 465 plate appearances last year. Had 59th percentile exit velocity, but he was at 91.5 miles per hour in his first 257 plate appearances before he kind of fell off. Yeah, yeah, and and um, I do recall there was a period of time I think it was um when we were both in the Cape, uh, where I was looking at how about that candidates and Jordan Walker came up and he was hit hit for like a few weeks span. He his heart his average. Uh, batted ball was like a hard hit ball um like he he's had those streaks like that and he came up as a top five prospect so i think um he's capable of hitting the ball hard and uh yeah i'll buy i'll buy on that all right um because I, I imagine he'll get more playing time as someone who likely won't get sent sent down back sent back down to the minors this year uh like he did last year and um i think that exit velocity will be up like it like it has been um so yeah, I, I'm buying on that. My question is, um, you know, about two guys who had tremendous 2022 seasons and, um, you know, definitely uh, regress in 2023. Who do you have more faith in to get back to 2022 form, Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arenado? I think it has to be Paul Goldschmidt. You know, we kind of touched on this uh, during where I put Nolan Arenado, I believe is my number eight third baseman um because i really didn't believe i i kind of felt a lot of concern with that 2023 regression that that might be closer to what he might be going forward um with paul goldschmidt you know he did get very unlucky in terms of his expected statistics and his on the surface stats um i think he's still very much there as a hitter you know i think he's very much there defensively as a first baseman at a very difficult defensive position to accumulate statistics i think he's a pretty good base runner and always has been uh, so I think it has to be Paul Goldschmidt in terms of the person I have the most faith in to get back to form next year. You know, we can uh, 
You know, unfortunately, we've moved past the era of the uh, the evergreen Cardinals question. Yeah, but it's all right. Yeah, yeah, the eight eight eighty OPS. Um, mm-hmm. shout out to his twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one seasons. Yep. Um, eight eight eighty three and eight seventy nine. Very filled. Well, very famously had an eight eighty like going into his last at bat in twenty twenty and. Yeah, yeah, it, and it was make or break, and he hit a he hit a yeah. A and that's what big time players do. Yeah, he did that. He did that. Unfortunately, they didn't win the NL Central like I thought they would. Yeah, no. Because of his because of that OPS. Um so um so yeah, so that does it for the Cardinals and now we move on to the Pittsburgh Pirates um who are coming off a year where although you know they didn't have great success, they did um they did do a good bit better than they did in 2020. Uh, two and they also had like that crazy run for the first like month and a half where they were, I think they were 28 eight uh never forget that uh, even like ended early June as well yeah yeah they were like leading the NL Central for a good bit there uh however uh on the year they went 76 and 86 and finished fourth in, in the NL Central uh in terms of additions and subtractions I couldn't find much they lost Vince Velasquez but I think he's still a free agent so they still could technically get him and uh they added uh, Earl Des Chapman, uh, Roddy Telez, and Edward Olivares. Shout out two players to watch of mine from last year, Roddy Telez and Edward Olivares, going to different teams. Um, and uh, since we're kind of snaking it, or that's how we usually do it, okay. Um, I will uh, talk about my player to watch, which um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's overlap, but he, he's an interesting uh, reliever to look at. Um, Talking about uh, Dory Moretta. Dory um, Moretta. Dory Moretta. He had a 32% strikeout rate and a 302 expected ERA in 58 innings last year. And his expected ERA was in the 93rd percentile and strikeout rate was in the 95th percentile. Um, you know, he had a 372 ERA, but I think in terms of projecting what he will look like in 2024, you got to look at that expected ERA being in the 93rd percentile that's pretty exceptional um and uh along with his expected era and strikeout rate being high his whiff rate was at was in the 92nd percentile and his average exit velocity against was in the 89th percentile so not only was he getting strikeouts he was getting soft contact uh an, ex- an average exit velocity against below 87 miles per hour was that's uh that's really tremendous and uh much of his success was uh, from making his slider his primary pitch uh, from 2022 to 2023 his slider usage went from 24 percent to 65 percent and last year batters hit 162 and slugged 265 against his slider and he had a 246 expected slugging against that slider and out of 66 pitchers to throw 500 plus sliders last year uh, Moretta's expected slugging against his slider was the fourth lowest of those 66 uh so him sort of changing that pitch repertoire really um played things into his advantage and gave him a 302 expected era and i would be willing to bet that uh overall era gets below three this year and he becomes a really really key piece of that pirates bullpen um who is your pirates player to watch i don't know if you saw this but foolish bailey made a video last summer uh talking about dare moretta's slider the interesting thing about it is that it moves arm side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about... Yeah, I forgot it was that player. 
Yeah, it's the weirdest thing ever, but it, like, you know, you throw a slider, if you're a right-handed pitcher, right, it moves, you know, in towards lefties and out towards righties. Dari Moretta just for some reason throws a slider that goes the opposite way. It's kind of like what I mentioned with Andre Pallante. It's, it's you know, gripped like a slider, it spins like a slider, but it moves like a changeup. So yeah. it's a, but it's a slider. And it's very weird, but yeah, it's, it works. that's how he throws it for some reason. Yeah, it works for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. So for my Pirates player to watch, this is a bit of a risky pick. Um, because this could, I you know, I feel like of every pick I, I see in here, this is the one that I could foresee going bad the most. But I'm going with Nick Gonzalez as my Pirates player to watch. And I feel like he can be an interesting guy if he gets enough playing time to accumulate some decent count stats. Um, through 99 games in AAA last season, he slashed 281, 379, 507 for an 886 OPS and a 121 weighted runs created plus. Um, in AAA, he had a 48.8% pull rate, and when he made it to the big leagues, um, his pull rate stayed roughly the same, but his ground ball rate went from 39% in AAA to 58% in the majors. So, I mean, if he can find a find a a place in the middle there, you know, be in like the, uh, I mean, not even a place in the middle, really a place more towards AAA. If he can have like a league average uh, ground ball rate, um, you know, I think he can hit enough fly balls and pull the ball enough to be a very interesting hitter. As I've mentioned a lot last week, you know, if you pull the ball enough and hit it in the air enough and you have enough power, you'll find your way into some some good numbers. Um, but of the 64 AAA hitters aged 24 or younger to have at least 300 plate appearances last year, Nick Gonzalez ranked 19th in fly ball rate and 12th in pull rate. And also, he played 35 big league games and struggled, but he did hit 295 with a 508 slugging against fastballs in 69 plate appearances. So, you know, he did so a small bit of progress in his big league cup of coffee last year, you know, only a month of time. Uh, if you look at the Savant page, you'll probably be like, Daniel, why would you pick this guy? Um, and I really am interested with how he did in AAA. I think uh, he can find his way into some nice batted ball metrics and uh, you know, if he gets enough playing time, he will be a player of value for Pittsburgh. Yeah, for sure. That that's a lineup that could use some um, use some offense production. Um, so on to questions. My question regards uh, another young pirate, a guy, in fact, that they um that they drafted first overall um less than three years ago. Right now, um, will Henry Davis? have over or under a 99 and a half OPS plus this year. He was at 78 last year. Okay. Uh, I am going to go over on this. Um, I think Henry Davis is going to be playing a lot more catcher this year. The position, you know, the position that he was drafted as he played a lot of left field last year and was really bad defensively from what I saw. If I'm, if I'm correct, like just naturally he's more fit to be a catcher um you know the reason that they put him in the outfield is because they also had Andy Rodriguez who was both of our uh, uh one of our players to watch last year um and i feel like you know if they put him at catcher more uh he's going to be a lot more comfortable there and the offense will kind of come with it if i'm correct here i'm trying to see what his uh, positional breakdown was last year yeah 49 games in right field and two games at catcher and he had uh, in only 62 games, minus 8.9 defensive runs above average, which is, like, atrocious. Um, yeah, Andy Rodriguez is unfortunately hurt right now. So I do think Andy Ro or, uh, Henry Davis will have an above average OPS plus because they're going to put him at catcher more. 
Um, my question revolves around another pirate that was drafted first overall. Uh, who will have more strikeouts in 2024 for the Pittsburgh Pirates? Uh, Marco Gonzalez plus Martin Perez or Paul Skeens? Yeah, so so that is that is definitely assuming Paul Skeens will play a lot on the uh, on the MLB roster. He um, pitched in Double A. He's only pitched six point two professional innings, but I mean he did pitch in Double A last year. I'm assuming that he's probably. Gonna, I think that might start him in Triple A to be honest. Um, and I and you know the Pirates might do that service time thing, but you know maybe they have him up by mid May, early June. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, if they're if they're out of contention, maybe they trade Perez. Maybe they trade Gonzalez. Yeah, I forgot to. Well, I get it reminds me. I forgot to add those two in. I noticed. The, uh, <laughs> I noticed the additions. Um. Yeah. So they also added, uh, Marco Gonzalez and Martin Perez. Um. I think I'm just not as um hype or not as hype on the idea that the pirates are gonna call skeins up immediately so i'm gonna go with um martin perez and marco gonzalez here um because yeah i mean there's a lot of reason to be excited about skeins um and maybe it would be the right move to have him up early but also considering uh, yeah, the organization, what organization this is yeah the organization in their history like you know he he might not be coming up until later if at all um and yeah i mean we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes about it. if he if he absolutely dominates you know double a and triple a there's no reason not to call him up but um that's not a complete guarantee but yeah number three bet number three prospect in baseball for a reason um yeah uh my or oh yeah no i already asked my question on yeah. to the reds um the cincinnati reds who had a surprising surprise you know very um uh uh, encouraging encouraging year ple- pleasantly surprising season is what I, is what is the term i was looking for yeah. um they went 82 and 80 last year after being you know projected pretty consensusly the uh worst team in the nl central they went 82 and 80 and finished third in the nl central um had a run where they were you know very much in the playoff race for most of the second half um in terms of uh, additions and subtractions, they lost Harrison Bader and Hunter Renfro, who they only had for about a month, so not crazy. They also lost Derek Law, Nick Senzel, and they may be losing uh, Joey Votto. He's still in the free agent market. I don't know. Uh, they could be losing him to another team. They could be losing him to retirement. Who knows? Um, they have also added... Jamer Condelario, Nick Martinez, Brent Suter, and Tyler Gilbert. Shout out to the twenty. And Frankie Montas. And uh, oh yeah, Frankie Montas as well, um, who uh, is coming off shoulder surgery. Uh, who's your Reds player to watch? Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about the Reds, I think your mind has to go to this young core. We saw a lot of interesting call-ups last year. Um, of course, Ellie De La Cruz, the most famous one. Uh, but the one that I'm going with today is the one that really struck me struck my eye the most last year and that was christian encarnacion strand he was one of the two pieces that they acquired back in 2022 in the tyler malley trade uh that has seemed to work out for the reds so far but in 241 plate appearances last year christian encarnacion strand slashed 270 328 477 for an 805 ops and a 112 weighted runs created plus the 112 weighted runs created plus is so low uh the interesting thing is that he had the exact same 
batting average and expected batting average, the exact same Woba and ex-Woba, and his slug and ex-slug were one point apart. He was very lucky uh, in ex- in slugging. You know, he he got that extra one point. Um, in AAA, he had a 47.2% fly ball rate and a fly... Or pull rate, forty-seven point two percent pull rate, and a fly ball rate above forty, and both of them dipped a bit when he got into the big leagues. Um, but he did post a thirty-one point four percent fly ball rate in the majors last year, and a thirty-four point six percent ground ball rate, which is a really good ratio uh, for a guy with a lot of power. Um, because normally you see a lot of guys uh, roll over a lot in their first big league appearances, but he didn't. He kind of already had the batted ball profile of a veteran player. Uh, and playing in Cincy, you know, one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks, he hit 13 home runs in 241 plate appearances. That is a 5.3% home run rate. And just for context, Ronald Acuna Jr. had a 5.5% home run rate last year. So I believe if Chris, I mean, I'm just going to make this call right now. If Christian Encarnacion Strand can up his fly ball, his pull rate to 40%, and he can keep his fly ball rate where it is. And obviously, you know, pull, you know, pull a couple more fly balls. He's going to hit 35 home runs this year. I'm going to put a number on it, 35 home runs. Give me the over for Christian Encarnacion Strand if he does those things. Uh, he hit 39% of his fly balls to the opposite field last year and only pulled 29%. If he evens those out even, like if he gets 34% of his fly balls uh, to left field and he, you know, has a high enough fly ball rate, it's he's gonna hit thirty five. I I believe in that. Yeah, yeah, that's that is a pretty interesting thing to note. Um, yeah, my, um, my player to watch. It's it's, I, I think maybe once a year I'll have one of these where it's like almost anti everything I believe in. But this guy's just this guy's just fun, and I think people sh- more people should recognize it. And maybe I'm getting him at his at his highest point maybe he's not this player for for a long time but he's still you know late 20s and had a breakout year last year and i ranked him the sixth best center fielder in baseball um and i and i found some more stats on him which i found pretty fun but i'll start with the basics uh with i'm talking about tj friedel uh center fielder for the reds and here's what i'll say about tj friedel he is exactly who the old school baseball fan should have their eyes on. He plays, he plays a great entertaining style of baseball. Uh, last year, he hit 279 with an 819 OPS and 118 OPS plus. He had five outs above average uh, in the outfield, four of them coming in center field, the premier outfield position. And he had 9.1 BSR, 9.1 base running runs, which ranked fifth in all of baseball. And that 9.1 BSR came from his 27 stolen bases and 66% extra base taken rate. So 18% above average at the plate, uh, five outs above average from the field, and nine runs above average on the bases, uh, making him the fifth best base runner in baseball last year. That is a really complete player if he continues this. Uh, his collective contributions gave him a top 30 F4 among position players in uh, in baseball last year. Um, and so why i say he's sort of anti what i believe in he outperformed his expected woba by 63 points uh and that's you know easily the most in baseball among 
uh, guys with his uh, pedigree of playing t- or or his uh, level of playing time. But much of that has to do with his ability to do something that um, is is not as uh, is not as popular in baseball today, and that is bunting. He had 17 bunt hits last year, which was the most by six bunt hits, and his 17 bunt hits are the most in a season in the Statcast era. And you know, I'm I'm a great believer in in getting on base in whatever you in whatever way you can. And obviously, you know, doubles, triples, and home runs are more valuable than singles. But his 17 bunt hits helped him get a 3.52 on base percentage last year. And who am I to knock that? That is a that is just a great way to utilize your speed and utilize your ability to uh, get get bunts and and take advantage of however the infield is aligned. Um, he was tremendous in that aspect and uh and if he continues to bunt that well he'll probably continue to succeed at the plate um along with that he hit 18 home runs last year and he uses great american ballpark to his advantage he hit 13 home runs at home last year and 12 of them were pulled uh so he's a guy he's not gonna he's not gonna hit it to the to the 15th row but he may be able to find that perfect spot in the ballpark and uh and get it out and and give him give his team some runs. Um, and what I'll say about TJ Friedel is I, so a, a comparison that gets thrown a lot with Juan Soto is like, Oh, he's the, he's the, he's the modern version of Ted Williams, which um, to an extent I, I understand because he's because of those strikeout to walk numbers. Are you going to say what I think you're going to say? Probably. Yeah. But, and I think with the Juan Soto comparison to Ted Williams, it might be a little bit, um, it might be a little bit skewed because Juan Soto is at a 157 career OPS plus Ted Williams was at 190. So if we're going to say that Ted Williams, that Juan Soto is the modern version of Ted Williams, I don't think it's that far fetched to say that TJ Friedel is the current version of Ichiro, Ichiro Suzuki. Yes. Um, Because yeah, Ichiro got those infield hits. He got those bunt hits. He ran the bases really well. And yeah, a, a, a TJ Friedel season, this is like, maybe two two to three wins above replacement less than than uh than Ichiro's prime than an Ichiro prime season same thing with Juan Soto to Ted Williams like Juan Soto is not putting up nine win seasons like Ted Williams was but we we do compare him to Ted Williams because of his style so TJ Friedel's style is very similar to Ichiro's style not saying he's as good as Ichiro but that style is very similar so um if you like Ichiro I think you'll like TJ Friedel um I love that now on to uh now on to your uh Reds player or no you already said your Reds player to watch. Yeah. Um, now on to questions. Yeah. So I've asked this question probably at least once or twice every single year that we've done this. Um it is I don't want to say a cop out question, but it is definitely like not one that takes a, a whole lot to think of. Uh but I think this is a very interesting team uh for this question because there's a lot of candidates. Who do you think will lead the Reds in home runs? Who do I think will lead the Reds in home runs? You have um, Ellie De La Cruz. You have Matt McClain. You have Christian Encarnacion Strand. Like I mentioned, you have TJ Friedel that could hit like 27 inside the park home runs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, before I answer that, I want to look at um, the rankings from last year. I feel like Steer was up there. Steer is another one. Noel V. Marte could break out. Yeah, um, I was liking um, Marte's exit velocity numbers when I was looking at him. Um, Jonathan India just got extended. 
kind of. He was never. He was. He was good in his last year of pre-arb anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. So Steer had twenty three last year, which I believe led the team. Um, but he just had a, a a whole ton of playing time. Um, whereas like Ellie De La Cruz hit thirteen in ninety eight games. Um. Yeah, I'll I'll. I'll buy into the hype and not saying that he's going to be the best player on this team, but I think Ellie De La Cruz hits the most home runs. He just has that natural ability to um, hit the ball hard and hit it far when he does hit it hard. So when he's not hitting ground balls, he can hit a home run. Uh, he does hit a lot of ground balls, but I think he'll, he'll put, he'll put a good amount in the seats. So uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll put it, I'll go with the mainstream, the normie answer and say Ellie De La Cruz leads the Reds in home runs. Um, my question um probably relates a lot to the candidates um in there and you probably already answered this question with your play to watch but who will have the best quote-unquote sophomore campaign because uh one of these guys actually still has rookie eligibility but who will have the best quote-unquote sophomore campaign among spencer steer matt mcclain ellie de la cruz christian encarnacion strand and uh noel v Marte. Yeah, I mean, I know I said Encarnacion's channel hit 35 homers. I don't know if that guarantees the best sophomore season because that's just count stats. Um, I'll still I'll stick with him, though. I mean, why not? You know, I mean, he had, you know, very good. He wasn't one of those guys that, like, you know, outperformed his expected numbers and had a high BABIP to get to an 805 OPS. You know, I mean, it was uh, he hit like an 800 OPS type guy. Um, and I feel like there's still more potential in there. Um, defense and base running will be a little questionable, but uh, I'll I'll stay by uh, stand by what I said about Christian Encarnacion Strand on that one. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, so yeah, that does it for the Reds. Now on to the Cubs, who um were kind of in the driver's seat of the wild card um race outside of um whoever was yeah outside of the Phillies they were kind of in the driver's seat and then you know things just kind of fell out um of the you know the wheels kind of just came off toward the end but they lost still... those brutal games night after night yes 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 indeed and uh they went 83 and 79 and finished second in the NL Central um as far as additions and subtractions so far they're losing Cody Bellinger they could sign him back but he's not on their team right now uh they definitely lost marcus stroman jamir condelario and michael fulmer and they added shota imanaga from japan um for my player to watch i believe uh fan has this guy um as their projected leadoff hitter and it makes a good bit of sense but it's the um 33 year old mike talkman who kind of had a little bit of a career re- revival last year um not necessarily like a top hitter in the game but he was an average hitter and i think showed the potential to be an above average hitter once again uh 2023 was his age 32 season and he had a career low strikeout rate career high expected batting average and expected woba and a career high on base percentage uh and out of 212 uh players with 400 plus plate appearances last year talkman's on-base percentage ranked 35th, which was top 17% in all of baseball. Uh, his chase rate was in the 95th percentile in all of baseball, and his walk rate was in the 94th percentile, and he also had a 30% line drive rate. And out of 221 hitters with 250-plus batted balls last year, his line drive rate ranked 5th highest. Um, so yeah, Mike Talkman, he, he had a flat 100 OPS plus last year, but a lot of these underlying numbers indicate that he 
just has the tools to be an above average hitter and a very good contributor to that Cubs lineup, whether that be his chase rate, walk rate, or line drive rate. Uh, along with him, I think having fairly average exit, uh, average, average exit velocity numbers and whatnot. So, um, so yeah, I think he, I think you know he's kind of an under the radar bat for the Cubs lineup. Um, who do you have as your Cubs player to watch? So for my Cubs player to watch, I'm going back to an old well. One of the I think the very first how about that that I did. In the 2021 season, uh, I got to see, you know, he finally kind of revived himself last year. Julian Merriweather, uh, a bullpen pitcher formerly of the Toronto Blue Jays that I think really impressed me with the Cubs last year. It was basically the first full season of his career. He pitched 72 innings, had a 3.38 ERA and a 3.52 FIP. Uh, he ranked 95th percentile or higher in average fastball velocity at 98.1 miles per hour. He had a 96 percentile whiff rate at 35.1 percent and a K rate at 32.3 percent. So he got a lot of swing and miss and threw a lot of a lot of hard fastballs, which is what I talked about when I used him as a how about that for the Blue Jays. Um, his slider, however, is his primary pitch, despite his high velocity fastball. Um, over the last year, his slider produced the fifth highest whiff rate at 45.3% among the 61 pitchers with at least 250 swings taken against their slider. The only pitchers to have a higher swing rate, swing and miss rate on their slider were Spencer Strider, of course, Jesus Lazardo, Matt Brash, and Freddie Peralta. And then right after that was Julian Merriweather. He also had a called strike and whiff rate of 40.2% on his slider, which means 40% of his sliders thrown either resulted in called strikes or swings and misses. That was the second highest rate among the 66 pitchers with at least 500 sliders thrown, second to only Spencer Strider. So if you're, if you're, I mean, if you're second to Spencer Strider in anything, you're probably doing very well, especially if it's uh, in, in strike, in strikes thrown, strikeouts, swings and misses, whatever. Um, he also had a changeup that was his uh, third most used pitch behind his slider and his forcing fastball. I found this very interesting. Uh, he threw his changeup eight times to righties and 84 times to lefties. So, you know, he it's a weapon that he uses very particularly against left-handed hitters. And his changeup ended in 2023 with 13 strikeouts and seven batted balls against. Uh, which kind of just shows how unhittable it was when he did want to throw it. He threw it 15% to lefties, by the way. Opponents hit and slugged 150, and the expected stats were lower. So they hit 150, there were no extra base hits, and nothing that was even remotely close to being an extra base hit in terms of the contact that was made, how hard it was hit, where it was hit. Uh, the changeup had a 52.6% whiff rate. That was the fourth highest among the 318 pitchers to get at least 25 swings against their changeup. So we finally saw a great season out of Julian Merriweather. He's going to be a part of, I think, what could be a very interesting Cubs bullpen between him and another former Cubs player to watch of mine in Adbert Alzale as closer. Um, and, you know, the Cubs are a very interesting team this year. You know, I think their rotation improved. I think Bellinger would improve their lineup. Uh, but the bullpen could be really rock solid if we get a full season of Alzale and Merriweather and that back end. Yeah, 100%. And just the Cubs in general, like with, with how, with the state of like the Brewers and the Cardinals right now, uh, it's, it's the kind of the lane is sort of opened up for them to be the NL central favorites. And um, I think if I were a Cubs fan, I wish they maybe took a little bit more action in the, um, in the off season, but 
They did make one addition, and my question is about that addition. Uh, Shota Imanaga, who is coming over from Japan, signed, I believe, like, it, it was an in- interesting contract, but I think it comes out to four years, $54 million is what um, I've seen on MLB Network. But um, will he have over under a 114.5 ERA plus uh, this year? 114.5, huh? Um, I think uh, I want to say it was the bat that projected him to have like an era over five uh i could be wrong about that though i want to check i want to check though i know uh zips liked him uh which is you know i suppose good um they don't have it listed on the bat that's annoying um a 114 and a half so the interesting thing about imanaga is he has very good strikeout to walk numbers, but home runs are his issue. And I feel like Wrigley could hold some balls in, um, which maybe would play to his advantage. The Cubs' middle infield defense is excellent. Uh, their outfield defense, we don't really know what it's going to look like right now. Um, I will I will take the over. Why not? I'll take it. Um, and for my question, uh, Pete Kerr Armstrong was given a 80-grade field uh, tool via Baseball America, the highest of any prospect. Will he have over or under 13 and a half outs above average this year? Yeah, that's a interesting question because that, that probably does have a lot to do with how often he'll be in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brenton Doyle had 15 last year and 116, 126 games played. And that could also depend on what the cups continue to do in free agency. But um, I'll take, I'll take the over. I think he has his, his Victor Robles uh, rookie season where he just goes crazy in the, in the field. So yeah, he's, he's young. He's ha- has something to prove and 80 grade field. I mean, that's pretty tremendous. So um, I'm, I'm wondering what like Wrigley allows, like if it, playing center field in Wrigley is probably one of the easier play, places to play center field, but um, I, I think he'll still be able to get over that. So now on to the defending division champion brewers. However, um, it's that uh the idea of a repeat is getting less and less likely as the offseason moves along but uh nonetheless they went 90 92 and 70 and won the national league central uh however losing to the diamondbacks in the national league wild card round uh in the offseason so far they have lost uh corbin burns brandon woodruff mark canna tyrone taylor rowdy telez and adrian hauser and they have added Reese Hoskins, Eric Haas, Austin Nola, Christian Arroyo, D.L. Hall, and Joey Ortiz. Um, who is your Brewers play to watch? Yeah, so this was actually very convenient. Um, I was going to use D.L. Hall as my Orioles player to watch, and I actually didn't have a Brewers player to watch yet uh, when the trade happened. So uh, I just slotted that right in. Yeah, D.L. Hall is my Brewers player to watch. I think... He's a really interesting pitcher. Um, he's thrown 33 big league innings in between 2022 and 23, uh, and he's posted a 244 FIP, and that is thanks to his 11.5 strikeouts per nine and his 0.5 home runs per nine, um, which I don't love that going into Milwaukee instead of Baltimore, but that's okay. Since 2022, uh, he has an average exit velocity against of 83.9 miles per hour in 92 batted balls. That is tied for the lowest among the 780 pitchers with at least 50 batted balls against. And granted, he has 53, so he just barely makes that list. But regardless, uh, I mean, 53 batted balls with an exit velocity below 84 is pretty remarkable. He has the same 
expected weighted on base average over the last two seasons as Spencer Strider, who just seems to keep showing up in these for me. Um, and the thing that I find interesting about DL Hall is despite I say only because this is a above average height, but for pitchers, it's below average, despite only being six foot two, he averages seven feet of extension off the mound. And this helps jump his four-seam fastball velocity from 95.6 miles per hour to 96.6 miles per hour. And thanks to this, his four-seamer last year had a 39.5% strikeout rate. Um, and not only that, but he put up a 50.9% ground ball rate last year. And he also has a career 14.1% fly ball rate. So not only does he give up the softest contact in the league, but he also gives up a lot of ground balls. Uh, he doesn't give up a lot of fly balls, um, and I really think that it'll play no matter where he is if he keeps that up to some degree. Obviously, things will probably balance out with more time, but uh, you know, I really think that six years of Dia Hall for one year of Corbin Burns could end up looking really good for the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, especially if they did not have any plans of extending Burns, which they definitely didn't. Um, now on to, yeah, the final player of the day. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, Garrett Mitchell. Uh, he, he's a left-handed bat and a center fielder. Uh, he was a first-round draft pick in the 2020 draft, and he was a top 100 prospect coming up. Uh, he debuted in, the, in August of 2022 and was you know projected to be a, a Rookie of the Year candidate in 2023, but his shoulder injury took him out for over five months last year. Um, but in the short time that he's uh, played in 141 career plate appearances, he has a 278 batting average, 795 OPS, and 120 OPS plus. Um, there's some really interesting things about his batted ball profile. Um, however, yeah, he he strikes out a ton. He needs to cut that down in order to be a more successful hitter. But there are some interesting things about um, how he hits the ball. He has an 11% career barrel rate and a 41% career sweet spot rate. And there are 537 hitters with 50 plus batted balls since he debuted. And Mitchell's sweet spot rate ranks 33rd of those 537, which ranks him top 7% in sweet spot rate. And uh, with sweet spot rate, or with, with the sweet spot zone, that is when you hit the ball between 8 and 32 degrees. And uh, hitters, hitters hit about 600 in that zone and slug around 1,100. So hitting that ball in that zone is a very good thing. Um, and also of his 74 career batted balls, Garrett Mitchell only has one pop-up, uh, which is a really, really good sign because hitters hit about 020 on, on pop-up. So um, him only having one in 74 career batted balls, which is well, well below league average. Um, that is a great sign. And along with him uh, getting a lot of barrels and, uh, Falls in the sweet spot zone. He also has 94th percentile sprint speed. So if he does put it up, put it on the ground, uh, he has a better chance than average of beating it out for an infield hit. Um, along with that, uh, and yeah, so what he needs to change is that strikeout rate. He has a 38% career strikeout rate, which is very alarming. Uh, but if he changes that, I think he could be an elite um offense offensive contributor for the Brewers. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that does it for Brewers player to watch, uh, players to watch. Who do you, what do you have as your, uh, question? Yeah. I mean, you might've answered this one already, but my question is which of these players will have the highest isolated power, uh, Sal Freelich, Garrett Mitchell, or Bryce Terang? 
Uh, Zips has self relic projected with a 123, Mitchell with a 143, and Terang with a 118. Yeah, and if we're talking isolated power, like I feel like that does go very much into Garrett Mitchell's favor, and I'm not just saying that because I put him as a player to watch, but he's a guy who is probably going to have a low batting average. Like Even if he cuts his strikeout rate by 10 percentage points, that's still a 28% strikeout rate. Um, so, you know, you're when your strikeout rate is high, your batting average can only be so high. So potentially maybe a 230 hitter, but could slug a good bit. He has an 11% barrel rate. Whereas, you know, Bryce Terang and Sal Freelick, they seem to make a lot more contact, which could in- increase their batting average. Cause you know, that's the weird thing about ISO is the higher your batting average, the um, it could potentially hurt your high ISO, which is why it's kind of a weird stat. So, uh, you know, Sal Freelick, he, um, I-, I talked about him when, the Reese Hoskins signing uh, occurred. Like he's a guy that can get on base a lot. Uh, he, I could see him getting maybe a 350 on base percentage this year, but um, I don't see him having the highest ISO. Bryce Terang is also, you know, a, a softer contact guy. So yeah, with with how much um, Garrett Mitchell puts the ball in the air and how low his batting average probably will be, I, I have to say Garrett Mitchell. Um, my question is uh, kind of like it's it's sort of a cop out uh, question as well, but considering um just the just the fact that there's not really a quite an obvious answer with this one uh who will lead qualifying brewers in ops qualifying brewers um i mean in terms of potential candidates there's william Contreras, there's reese hoskins there's maybe a sal freelick breakout maybe a garrett mitchell breakout and then of course the jackson chorio um breakout um I think I like the idea of Reese Hoskins in that ballpark. Um, you know, it's a it's a good hitter's park, especially a good power hitter's park. He's a guy that hits a lot of fly balls, pulls the ball a lot. Um, so I'll say I will go with Reese Hoskins on that one. I think it'll be the second straight year where, uh, oh, by the way, also Christian Yelich, I didn't even mention him. But uh, I think it'll be another year where the Brewers' uh, highest or their best offensive player is a guy that they got in the offseason. Uh, yeah, and I'll go with uh, I'll go with Reese Hoskins. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, so that shall do it for uh, the divisional breakdown. Good to good good to start off with um, along with some positive news. Hopefully, hopefully as time goes on, we will have more and more news to talk about. Yes. Because yeah, thank I, you to uh, Stephen Shock for joining us today. Very fun interview. Yes, great. Yeah, wonderful, a- amazing stuff. Um, changed changed my life for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'll never forget that one that one topic that we talk talked about. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, when he said that thing, my God, like you wouldn't believe the look on my face when. when yeah. Oh, I saw it. I I was on Zoom. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, look, we're saying this because we already did the interview, so we know what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Seb, shout out to Stephen Shock. Uh, you're probably already following on on yeah, social. It's uh, Big Donkey Forty Seven on Twitter, the Shock Factor Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that fun stuff. Yep, yep. Um, and yeah, to dive more into us, go to our YouTube channel if you're if you're listening to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, you know, go go to the playlist, check out all the playlists uh, with the guest interviews, which you know we just recently added one, but also check out the others. We have guys like. Chris Rose, uh, Jeff Passan. We've got Sarah Langs on there. Um, Mike Petriello of uh, MLB.com as well. Um, some good stuff over there and and stuff that stands the test of time. It's not all topical. 
Um, along with that, follow us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. We hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you uh, next time where we will be previewing the West. NL West. National League West and uh, discussing our 41st through 50th best players in baseball. Yep, we're doing that as well. As we will be starting our top 50 players in baseball. We will see you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.